What up, Whisper Nation, and welcome to the all-new Breakdown Preview Show that we have here at the Fantasy Whispers. It is going to be jam-packed with a ton of info and special guests all throughout the entire year, and we are giving away a free sample of this audio version in full for the first three weeks of the season. Then after that, this podcast is going to exclusively to our patreon page so if you want to continue with this audio program and help support the fantasy whispers just head on over to the fantasy whispers patreon and donate just one dollar to continue with the audio and if you would like to also view the video version that is available for a five dollar pledge this tremendously helps us grow our channel and continue to put out Great content for you, Whisper Nation. All right, enjoy this episode. Week one is here. Right here. What's up, Whisper Nation? I'm... Are we not good? No, oh. should we good? <laughs> we're, we're live. All right, what's up, Whisper Nation? I'm Big Travi. We're live now here for the week one matchup show. Uh, welcome in. If you're watching right now, you're watching the full thing on Patreon. Uh, if, if not, uh, we will be getting you on here as soon as we can. You'll be yeah. getting used to these beautiful people. Uh, as always, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, ARC Austin. Welcome in brother. Good to be here. Yeah. And of course, uh, one of my colleagues as well is the Sultan of stats. Summy, Summy, welcome in brother. How you doing tonight? What's up, Trav? Feeling good, man. Football Eve. Can't wait. Yeah. And of course, my co-founder, the man, Johnny Game Time Hicks. How are you, brother? Dude, I am so beyond jacked that I had to just wear my Kyler Murray jersey tonight because for the show, because I'm so excited for football. I just completed my last draft too, so it's on. I'm in 11 leagues this year. Uh, it's getting pretty wild. I had a I had a uh, last minute work league thrown together. You know, it's funny when you're the fantasy guy at your work, that's always like, Hey, you want to be the commissioner? No, dude, I don't want to be the commissioner, especially the last minute commissioner for your bunk work league. Uh, <laughs> so that's what I draft. Uh, don't do this at home, Patreon, but I drove and drafted. Uh, it was not. Oh, good. It wow. Was that is, uh, that is nothing we want to promote here. I wish I could have spoke to text my picks, um, but I didn't. Uh, anyways. Selecting uh, and steering. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, maybe well, that's something week. that we should work on, right? We should do a voice to text draft. Like, oh my app, God, we just right? we won't oh. even need to be this. We won't even yeah. need to be the fantasy whispers. Travi, though, you're right. You always have to do the work league, and I know here at the fantasy whispers, one of the things that we really lean on and that energizes us and the reason why we get up and do this every single day is because of the community because of whisper nation because of the joy that we had in our various leagues and the bonds you have with those people it's real to me it's more important than any kind of victory you're going to end up having at the end of a monday night game so with that said when you get an opportunity to be in the work league it is something you always got to do it's instant bonding you get to beat your boss in the regular season he looks at you in a whole different type of way. I just, I yeah. just hate it when Barbara from accounting beats me. So <laughs> yeah, she didn't even look. At, she didn't even look at a roster once. Yeah, that's yeah. the worst. And two-time well, champion. This, this is the week one matchup show. This will be live in its entirety, both video and audio, hosted on Patreon. If you want to be a part of this, 
Subscribe to the Patreon uh, channel, of course. Uh, obviously, you're watching it there. We're going to split it up and do some of the matchups on YouTube as well. But the idea of this, gentlemen, is we're going to go through every single game on the slate, and we're going to talk about all the fantasy-relevant storylines. And not just like, hey, start your stud. We want to dive into deep into some analytics here and talk to the people about how they can gain an edge. Look at all the data that's out there and uh, kind of go through that. So without further ado... We have our first matchup on the slate, the Thursday night matchup, and that is Kansas City versus Houston. I am so pumped. Oh. The NFL did uh, did a big did a big thing here, putting Kansas City versus Houston. I love this as an opening matchup. We've seen Kansas City open a couple times already. I remember the New England Kansas City uh, uh, fireworks show, Kareem Hunt catching 70-yard bombs from Alex Smith. Uh, I don't mean to bring that up, Sammy, but yeah, I, I thought I'd I'd put that out there. Okay, it was an exciting week one. Just uh, just hurt a little bit. So we've got Kansas City. Uh, I believe is this. Uh, I'm a little uh, I'm a little off here. I thought Kansas City was hosting this game. Is that correct? Yeah, they are. Yep. Okay, they are. Cool. So yeah, Kansas City hosted, and they're favored by nine. The the over under is the highest over under on the week, guys. Forty fifty four and a half. Oh so yeah, baby. That's what I'm talking about. We had here Johnny, who just I'm recently taking the over. drafted. Yeah, I, I would probably do that as well. Johnny, who uh, just recently drafted multiple stock in Patrick Mahomes, that's who we're going to talk about first. In 21 of 31, that's 67% of his career games, guys. He's has two or more touchdowns. He's a lock to roll out of bed. This offense could have arguably gotten better, probably did get better by acquiring CEH in the first round. Plus, our boy Mahomes got paid, 10-year, $503 million contract. There's no debate here. Anybody going to argue with me about starting Pat Mahomes? I don't think so. I think the interesting take here will be about CEH. You're not obviously going to bench CEH if you drafted him. You drafted him in the first round. But I think the take comes in about how this split is going to work for week one. We look at 230 total car carries and 61%, including 10 inside the five-yard line, are gone and vacated with Damian Williams opting out and McCoy gone. So, Sami, I'll ask you, do you have a pulse on how CEH is going to acclimate himself here? Because we do have the COVID offseason. We've got a lot going on. But there's a lot to be had. There's a lot of meat on the bone in this running game. There really is. And, um, you know, to be frank, if I drafted CEH in the first round, I could care less, right? Because no matter what, I'm going to be playing him. And I think it's kind of just a wait-and-see situation. Like, there's things that you can control, and there's things that you can't control. Um, I think what we can do is just kind of analyze like, Hey, how many snaps is Daryl Williams out there for? Is he on the goal line package? Like what, it, what is the extent of his involvement? Um, but I think if you have Clyde Edwards Lair, you're rolling him out there no matter what. And uh, it's just a wait and see game at this point. Well, and you even had the offensive coordinator uh, come out earlier this week. Uh, he was having uh, his time with the beat writers and he came out and was like, yeah, we're, we're rolling with the rookie. Um, but, it, you know, he might get starstruck. He might, you know, mess up a little bit, but he needs to just move on to the next play. As long as he does that, then uh, then we're good. So uh, we are getting a little bit of an echo on somebody. Somebody's echoing. Austin. Uh, okay, so we so we move on to the, the aerial attack here, and Tyreek Hill obviously being taken back back of the second uh depending on what's going on in your league 
But if we look a little bit closer, guys, I was a little surprised to see only one top 10 weekly finish in his last six games. You've got to go back to week 10 of 2019 for his top five finish, the last one that he posted here. And I kind of think that means positive regression here. Uh, this this high over under you look at the fact that you know looking at pffs the way he lines up here you've got a lot of his routes going up against roby in this offense that gives him a 56 advantage score from pff i am loving tyree kill here just um just loading up on tyree kill obviously but then the question comes in can we trust sammy watkins Michael hardman or any of these guys down here maybe in a dff or in a in a what the heck situation uh johnny how are you feeling how's the pulse on, on the the ancillary pieces behind tyreek hill um i mean sammy watkins should get the bulk of those you know he should get the wide receiver too however i'm not you know i've never been a huge fan of sammy watkins and he just hasn't shown over the course of the last few years that he can be consistent. Yeah, he had the week one blow up last year. Um, but I honestly think if there's anyone besides Tyree Kill who could do that this year, it isn't Sammy Watkins again. It's going to be Miko Hardman. I think that if you need a shot in the dark, uh, if maybe you had you drafted like a David Montgomery and then you were able to get Miko later, uh, I think it's. I think you can definitely play him. I, they want to give him more, get him more involved in this offense. And the thing I want to bring up, uh, Tyree Kill's rookie year, uh, he was very, very similar in yardage uh, to Meikle Hardman. And then the second year, uh, you had Tyree Kill jump and make that big jump and had over 1,100 yards receiving. It'll be interesting to see if they do uh, employ Tyreek, uh, or not Tyreek, uh, employ Mecole that same way. Who is yeah. the quarterback? Who was Tyreek Hill's quarterback his rookie year? Well, and I think the other the other point there is, did Tyreek Hill have somebody as talented as Tyreek Hill ahead of him at the time too? <laughs> like, uh, or well, he Travis wasn't Kelly? he wasn't starting at the time. He at, his role was very similar to the process of Miko or of Tyreek Hill. They had a very similar path uh, to I, getting on the field because when Tyreek Hill got yeah. into this. When Tyreek Hill came into this league, he wasn't uh, this. He wasn't really good. He wasn't a crisp route runner. He was just a pure speed go guy. He developed that after his uh, his rookie year. He got uh, he developed his route running. Stummy, I want to bring you in here because I think you might have a little bit of a contrarian take as far as how the other wide receivers work outside of Tyreek Hill. I do actually. Um, I do. I, I feel like um, behind Tyreek Hill, there is no clear defined wide receiver two. We know Sammy Watkins has his blow-up spots, sure, yeah. But Demarcus Robinson is still on the roster. Like, we didn't he, – he didn't just die. He didn't get cut. I mean, Nicole uh, Hardman needs to fight for snaps, and that, that's one knock on him from last year is that, you know, he was hyper-efficient with his touches. He was on the field for – I forgot how many snaps, but it wasn't anywhere near 50%. And I think if you're throwing a DFS dart throw, I think, you know, with Vernon Hargraves there and Bradley Roby and, and – uh, who's their third corner in Texas? It's um, in Houston. It's uh, Gary Conley. Yeah. And, you know, you have those three guys. If do if two of them are doubling Tyreek, I mean, give me Demarcus Robinson, you know, for a dart throw. I think he can put up a two touchdown game and, you know, he's he's shown he can be effective with Mahomes. And there was a stretch in 2019 where people wanted to roster him, too. So it's a uh, this is definitely one of the Kansas City Chiefs are one of those teams that whoever is catching passes from Patrick Mahomes is going to be a valuable fantasy asset. We know that. 
Tyreek Hill is pretty much locked in. It's just then who else is going to be out there. And the beauty of the way Patrick Mahomes plays is he reminds me of an Aaron Rodgers in that he never forces it to one guy. He's not only a powerful thrower, but he's smart as well. And he's going to distribute it across the field, which really echoes Sammy's point here that you can't lock it in. I think it's still pretty safe to say that Sammy Watkins would be your number two just because of the snap share we're expecting to see him play. Um, out there but if, especially if you're in a dfs situation i would rather take the value on a player other than sammy watkins as you're probably going to get him coming in cheaper and the chance of their production is only i think a little bit reduced from uh watkins yeah i think it's just important to note that a couple or one of these guys behind tyree kill and travis kelsey is going to pop this year probably and so try to identify who that is whether you're summy and you like demarcus robinson potentially or you're johnny and you like Nicole hardman um, obviously Tyreek and Travis Kelsey will get theirs, but who comes after that? And uh, speaking of Travis Kelsey getting his, obviously the tight end one last year was very consistent. 16 games was a top 12 tight end 14 times and a top five tight end five times. And I think the biggest stat I was looking at is he could actually get better than he had last year because he only converted two of 10 targets inside the 10. I think about that uh, no-look pass that Mahomes on week one threw it to the side and uh, totally missed uh, totally missed a wide-open Kelsey. See? Forget about the no look. I, I still remember when Kelsey caught the ball and pitched it to LaShawn McCoy while he was getting tackled. Oh, like, that yeah, was, that's yeah. right. right. Like a backyard football. That was yeah. such a fun play to watch. So let's talk a little bit on the other side here because one of the guys. Uh, Wait, one uh, quick thing. I mean, Ty, yeah, go uh, for it. Travis Kelsey, I mean, he did show up on the injury report with a knee issue. Are you at all concerned about that? I was uh, going to try and take a look at that, but he also practiced in full today. So that was a good sign that he got back in a full practice today. I think he got, he's he's pretty much good to go. I did watch that. Um, it's, it is something to monitor because he did show up a couple times last year with the same kind of nagging knee. Look, he's his comp is Gronk. You know, he's kind of taken over the Gronk of fantasy now, but he's he's had a less littered injury history. But that is a tough position to play going over the middle of the field, um, especially in a high-powered offense. One of the things I want, I think it's a good reminder as we're moving into the start of the actual NFL season is that every single player in the NFL is going to be playing sub-100%. And you oftentimes don't hear about these injuries. I mean, you hear about dudes after the season that had a nagging so-and-so joint or ligament right. or whatever it ended up being. And the fact that we hear this news. Where is the players, so-and-so joint located, Austin? The so-and-so joint is located right beneath the, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, the yeah. armpit. Yeah. Exactly, over there. Yeah. It, it was <laughs> nagging me earlier too, yeah. It it, was it's the technical bad. term. Not everybody knows it. Not everybody went to medical yeah. school. Right. So like, but um, every player on your roster is going to be dealing with dings and bruises and slowdowns. If you know it or not, that's just kind of the question. So when I hear these Kelsey ones, my immediate head then goes to where is he at on the practice field? If he's a full participant, he is a full participant to me. And, and I might be giving that too much credit, but when there are so many things to filter out in NFL, in the NFL of, of what can we really rely on to make our predictions coming up ahead, if I've got two full practices ahead, I'm feeling good about that. Or even one full practice one right full before. One full day before, and then you're looking and I really at Wednesday. Want to believe it. Yeah, a Wednesday on the Thursday game is essentially your Friday practice. So we're feeling really good about where Travis Kelsey is out. And obviously you're feeling good about him. You drafted him early. So if you got him, uh, so you got to fire him up there because he's giving you that positional advantage. Speaking of a, a potential other positional advantage, we're going to move on to the Houston side of things here. Deshaun Watson being drafted is, uh, you know, kind of around the QB four. That's where he finished last year, uh, was a top 12 QB in five of his final eight games. 
I thought this was really interesting because the Chiefs are a 10-point dog or almost a 10-point dog. Watson has thrived when he's an underdog. His career yards per attempt goes from 7.7 .7 to 8.4, and his yards per carry goes from 4.4 to 6.3. I am really excited about the prospects. Not that you weren't excited, but it's just kind of a note that if you see Watson being a dog, uh, an underdog in that game, so to speak, you can pretty much fire up him and then maybe fire up his weapons. And so that's what we're going to talk a, a little bit about next. Johnny, you have maybe banged the drum the hardest for David Johnson this offseason. You know, prior to week six, we've talked about this. You know, DJ looked good. He averaged 102 total yards. He scored five touchdowns. He was a top 15 back five out of those six possible weeks. And Bill O'Brien went and drafted or uh, went and traded possibly the best wide receiver in the game for him. So, Johnny, how are you feeling about DJ specifically in this matchup, but, you know, on the season as well? Oh, I I love DJ. I'm I'm playing him if I have him in this game, and I understand Kansas City. Uh, you know they have a pretty good. Uh, oh, sorry, they don't have a good rush defense. So you're gonna definitely want to play him. And also to add on top of there that uh, Tam, um, uh, Houston actually probably has a much significantly improved offensive line, much more improved than Arizona Cardinals uh, had for him at you know, in the beginning of last year. And so uh, they're going to get him the ball a lot because they're going to want to try to keep the ball away from, uh, you know, Pat Mahomes. They're going to want to try to protect that defense. And so I would, I like David Johnson. I think he's super safe in both PPR uh, and in, in standard because he's going to get passes out of the backfield. He's going to get work. And that's going to be, so he might not be efficient, but he's going to get work. And, and because of David Johnson's projected volume, Duke Johnson is a efficient running back, who I think that we probably all like as a prospect and a, and a skilled player. But last year saw a career low in targets, Summy, only 62 targets. And now we're looking at a situation with David Johnson in town. Do you see any path to fantasy relevance, maybe even in a PPR league for Duke Johnson this year? Remember, they did bring in Randall Cobb and they brought in and Brandon Cooks as well. Yeah, I mean, outside of injury to David Johnson, I don't see much value in Duke Johnson, only because, I mean, Deshaun Watson has shown us that it's not the offense around him, it's just him. He doesn't like throwing to his running backs uh, year in and yeah. year out, and that's why Duke Johnson mm -hmm. saw low in targets last year. And I do think that David Johnson also going to probably see the least targets of his career on a per-game basis as well this year. Uh, we all know Bill O'Brien is going to just ram him up the middle on first and second down, and listen, he's a volume play, right? We're hoping on... Him still having his talent. Um, I don't think, you know, Duke Johnson's worth drafting. I think it's a very low upside pick that you can, you know, utilize somewhere else. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't someone we've all collectively been banging the drum as far as a handcuff even for David Johnson, you know, because it's just his path to upside just does not seem to be there. But now I want to talk about where the motor is under the hood for this offense, and that's this wide receiving core, preferably Will Fuller. Last, you know... He's had a career where he just cannot stay on the field, but he's got 26 games with Watson and 14 touchdowns in those games. No Hopkins in this offense, right? That vacates a whopping 36% and 167 targets right out of the offense. And who's to say Will Fuller cannot get this going and get extra targets per game? You put on top of that, Brandon Cooks is hurt. Um, and he's and he's dealing with this quad. So, Austin, what's your take on Will Fuller? I know he was drafted in the seventh and later. Are you feeling like Will Fuller is a, you know, this is as good as weak as any to play him if you got him? Absolutely. How can it not be? Health has been the major factor holding Will Fuller back. 
You love to see the reports of him working with a trainer on minor ways to tweak his movement to minimize those injuries. We know he's got a contract year ahead of him, and he's looking to show that he has durability. That truly is an important part. The man who was ahead of him his entire career, DeAndre Hopkins, has such a strong reputation of just playing through whatever it might be, and that dude's always playing 14, 15, 16 games in a season. And Will Fuller has some ground to make up there, so that's been the main thing holding him back. He's also the only receiver that's going to have any continuity with Deshaun Watson coming in from this COVID offseason with limited camp, um, atypical types of preparation. Will Fuller has a tremendous advantage over the rest of the receiving course. I mean, Kenny Stills over there, I think Kenny Stills could be an interesting play, uh, could sneak up a little bit. Um, as well with Randall Cobb, if you've got Cooks out, um, somebody else is going to be catching targets. Somebody else yeah. could even be catching a lot of targets. But Will Fuller is the home run play. He's the number one. And there isn't, if anything, if, if, he, if he doesn't produce, it's just one of those like, well, shucks. It just didn't happen this time. But there's no reason to suggest, there's no reason not to roll the man out with confidence, especially this week. My goodness. I have, a, I have a quick question for you guys. Um, yeah. you, know, you know how we always see these uh, secondary wide receivers that are still ballers, like Juju, for example. And we always have concerns, right? Like, hey, what if Antonio Brown leaves? Like, is Juju really going to be able to perform? Hey, mm. Stephon Diggs left. Is Adam Thielen going to be able to perform? Why are we not? I've never, I, throughout this whole offseason, I haven't heard a single person ask that question about, hey, can Will Fuller produce at the same level that he did? Because there's no question that he can there's no question about it. <laughs> well, I think the bigger, the, I think the bigger question, That's I think question. the bigger concern was until this week we had a lot of faith that Brandon Cooks was going to be in that offense. And so while he's not DeAndre Hopkins, he will draw attention from the defense. And so I think that's what's fit a lot into that narrative, Summy, at least for my side of it, because it was the idea that Brandon Cooks will command some attention, not to the level of so. DeAndre Hopkins. The other was the usage of DeAndre Hopkins last year. They seem to use DeAndre Hopkins almost like a slot receiver a lot, moving him closer to the line, doing bubble screens a lot last year. They did not really stretch the field with him. And so I don't know that Will Fuller wasn't seeing a lot of attention that he didn't see. And I, I just, I love what's going on here. What I don't love is Brandon Cooks. Uh, I have had this whole cycle with Brandon Cooks, drafted him in a couple leagues uh, last week. Uh, thought I was going to be able to smash play him in this matchup because why not? It's this matchup. They're 10 point dogs. And now he has not practiced <laughs> this week and has a soft tissue issue. They were already limiting his reps in camp. Uh, it looks like Brandon Cooks is going to be somebody you're going to have to look to replace in your lineup. So really what I wanted to ask Johnny is between Randall Cobb, who had a resurgent year last year, Johnny, 83 targets, 53 receptions, uh, career highs in yards per uh, reception and 15.1 with Dallas and is going to, you know, an offense that should put points on the board or Kenny Stills. If you had to trust one of these guys in your lineup to be the Brandon Cook's replacement, who is it for you? Uh, I, I, I wouldn't. I think they're all going to play different roles. Like I think that they're. I don't think that you're going to see one consistent guy because I don't think any of them can can stay healthy. I yeah, think no, that's I'm not why... asking for the whole year. I'm talking about for for week one. If you had to choose oh. between Randall Cobb and Kenny uh, Stills, week one. Uh, oh, I think that they would probably have more faith in Kenny Stills, and they really like Kenny Stills there. Um, so I would have more faith in, Ke in Kenny Stills. Randall Cobb will get catches, but, I mean, you're not going to... 
I don't know in what league, like you would probably have to be on like a 20 team or a 16 teamer to like really want to consider sta- uh, starting Randall Cobb in this matchup. Uh, I just, I just don't like it. For sure. All right. And then uh, we're going to kind of skim over tight end here because Jordan Akins is the man there, but we've got so many other weapons that we're looking at ahead of him in this offense. I, I don't know if any of my colleagues are going to make an argument to speak on Jordan Akins in week one. Uh, so we will move on. And without further ado, we're going to move on to the New York Jets. Seeing the Buffalo Bills, Austin, talk to me about kind of the higher arcing view you have of this game, because really Buffalo should handle New York based on all the moves we've seen this offseason. Uh, it shouldn't be really close, right? What's it the really over-under? shouldn't be. What's the over? It really shouldn't be with the what, Johnny? What's the over under? It's a uh, 39 and a half and Buffalo's favored by six and a half. Okay. At home. You know, when I was looking at this whole makeup, the jets are still run by Adam Gaze and anybody who knows what we're talking about knows exactly what we're talking about. When we say Adam Gase's name and then all collectively just kind of wince about it. Right. And he hasn't shown an ability to put a roster forward that's going to produce anywhere near their potential. And this year to me doesn't look to be any different. And before I talk about the bills on this one, I just want to talk about why the bills are going to be so successful by reflecting over here on the jets. Uh, Sam Darnold's coming in right now last year, number 35 on pro football focuses, passing grades and number 23 on deep ball attempts. Uh, Not especially accurate, not especially courageous when it comes to those deep balls. Uh, one, one, one could call him lackluster if you will. And I just don't know a reason why we should be any more excited about Sam Darnold this year than we should be with him last year. And I know he had the mono situation, but even afterwards, I mean, he had a couple of games here and there, any starting quarterback is going to, but we're looking at Le'Veon Bell who had 3.2 yards per carry last season, uh, 78 targets that he wasn't able to do a lot with. And I don't really know why we'd be expecting a whole lot more out of Le'Veon Bell this time around, or better yet, the entire rushing offense for the Jets. They brought over Frank Gore, who had 3.6 yards per carry for the opponent he's facing. He's playing with the Bills last year. Uh, but that running game doesn't get me stoked. And the play of Sam Darnold doesn't have me quivering in any kind of footwear I've got on. Uh, his number one weapon is Jameson Crowder. It's the only receiver he's got any kind of continuity with. And Jameson Crowder's all right. Uh, we've talked a lot about his PPR viability, but the truth is last year he had just 78 receptions uh, on the season, and he only broke 100 yards, I think, once all season long. So there's no weapons that are really making you making you you scared. Brashad Perriman is the most explosive option that they have. I'm really high on the future outlook of Brashad Perriman, future, former number one overall pick, 4.2540. Like, that's stupid fast, 99.9% speed. Um, six foot two frame. The guy can boogie, but he has been hurt leading up to this. It's had limited offseason abilities to get connected with his new quarterback. He's going to be playing. Uh, he did have a full practice, which makes me excited about that. But I'm just not banking on it coming in with the strong Buffalo Bills defense that we've been seeing. Uh, from them all last season. And also the thing with the Bills defense is it's a strong, mean defense that also had some fluky things happen last year. Like, I don't think they had one pick six for the entire season. Uh, something that's that... True? Really? I'm, I'm pretty sure. It, if And if they did, it was a really limited amount. It was one of those like outlier numbers that you're expecting some positive regression or maybe yeah. even progression in that area. And um, 
so the Bills defense is absolute fire on this. The New York so Jets I guess, defense. I guess the question is like, do we start anyone from the Jets with confidence? Because you probably took Le'Veon Bell as hopefully your RB two, RB three, uh, not your RB one. Oh, your RB one. Yeah, yeah right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Hopefully it was a complete fade. But let's say you did yeah. take him. How confident are you? Are you looking to bench uh, Frank uh, Le'Veon Bell here? If I could, I would. All right. But most like people probably are not going to be in a position I, to bench him, you know? So the big thing I want to talk about on the Buffalo side, right, is that running back. Because I think yeah. you're talking, I think you're starting Josh Allen if you drafted him most likely. You drafted him a little bit late, probably as your starter. Um, he, you know, he's got projected upside with the rushing, but it's really about the running back core and really about all the hype that we've heard about Zach Moss and being the better receiver in camp and in college. And De- Devin Singletary has fumbled. Uh, so, I want to know some of you, how you're how you're viewing that backfield and if you can trust the rookie right out of the gate after a COVID offseason in Zach Moss in in what should be a good matchup. They're going to be favored here. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I I like Zach Moss. He's a he's a really good running back, right? And I do think that he'll on the season outscore Devin Singletary. Um, I don't think that's such a bold take. I think you know it's you're you're okay to roll him out there, but. You know, I think this Jets defense is also kind of underrated, uh, even without uh, Jamal Adams. I feel like, you know, we're forgetting about uh, some of these guys that they have in the middle. Well, that's where uh, they're strong is like on the defensive line. They're definitely they traded yeah. away like most Mosley opted out in, in the linebacking core. But the line has got some depth to it. I mean, you have a guy like Neville Hewitt, right? Like he's really yeah. good. He's 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 an amazing pass rusher. Um, and that that's really where Jamal Adam was uh was shining last year. But you know, they they can stuff the run as well. So I think this might be a little bit of a slower game, slower pace game. Just grind it out. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're gonna see too much value with these uh with this Buffalo backfield in Week One. But um, I think moving forward, you know, Zach Moss is gonna be an every week starter by like Week Two, Week Three. Yeah, my my uh, take on this has been to kind of sit on Moss for week one, try and see what you can see. This is the first live game action. So then if you can afford to it, similar to Le'Veon Bell, but with way more upside, wait and see if you can. And I would wonder if that's kind of how we feel about Stephon Diggs as well. Look, Stephon Diggs was not one of the Fantasy Whisperers' favorite wide receivers. We kind of told you, look, the upside in this offense was probably around the wide receiver two range for a guy that people think, um, you know, they're drafting as a a low-end wide receiver one. Um, So, Johnny, do you have any interest in starting Stephon Diggs here in, you know, a somewhat middle-of-the-road pass defensive matchup? I mean... If you have Mike Evans and you drafted Stephon Diggs, you're probably gonna have to stra- you're probably gonna have to start him instead. Um, but I mean, listen, Stephon Diggs should be a solid wide receiver two for you. Uh, he'll have wide receiver one weeks because of the ability to connect with the deep ball and Josh Allen. And so all it takes is one of those, and that makes your entire day for fantasy. So uh, you know the upside is definitely there uh, if you. He's much more of a flex play to me. I would feel much more comfortable there as opposed to if he's my wide receiver too. Um, but we also have to remember, like, Stephon Diggs is a really good football player. Uh, he's really good at route running, you know. So it, it could be, and, and you know, against the Jets, it could be much more run heavy. So, yeah, if I, if I can prevent getting Diggs in my starting lineup, I probably would. I mean, I personally this week I, I like Diggs. I like I like his Do spot you? because he's he's going up against primarily against Pierre Desir, who's a former Colt, 
last year and you know he wasn't the best he got injured sure but he wasn't the best in coverage either he let up about 1.6 yards per route run he allowed a 64 percent completion percentage so it's it's i like the spot for Diggs. he'll see pierre this year a lot and you got to keep in mind this is pierre's first year in this defensive system um albeit you know same argument can be made for stefan Diggs, but with that cannon of an arm thrown to him, I think. Uh, I also you know, think, though, that I, feel like- I also think John Brown is someone that takes those deep targets as well. And then you're looking at where is Josh Allen struggle in the middle of the f- throwing in the middle of the field and like between, you know, 10 and 15 yards. And that would be the routes that Diggs would be running. And so that's where my concern is, is that. And we've also seen we talked about, you know, DeAndre Hopkins going to a new quarterback. Um and regressing, that's going to be the similar to to Diggs. Both Josh yeah, Diggs Allen and the, both Josh Allen. Sort of throw make this one point real quick, Austin. Both Josh Allen's and Stephon Diggs were quoted today by beat writers saying that their chemistry is still in the early phases. They still need game action. So I think that would be my only hesitancy now, Summy, with with Stephon Diggs. Is yeah, the spot's good, but do you really want to be trusting in this offseason? No game speed yet. That sure. connection, but. At, like you said, it could just take one of those deep targets. Uh, I mean, right, Austin? Like, just one to make your day. What is that what you're thinking there? That's exactly what I'm thinking. And, this, and Stephon Diggs last year averaged 17.9 yards per reception. That's the number four most yards per reception of any wide receiver who cleared 1,000 yards. His play style, I mean, just go ahead and ask the New York Saints what Stephon Diggs can do to you at any play in the game. And because Stefan Diggs has this type of play style, I like Johnny's point of him being a flex option, even if he is banging for you, um, just because of his boom or bust potential while he's figuring out the ropes with Josh Allen. But just because of the way he plays the game, he's not a possession receiver, but he's also not just um, like a small speed guy or anything. He's got a lot of routes in his tree, um, and he can also burn you. He can do a lot of different things. So if he can get his hands on that football, uh, watch out. He's a weapon. So that's, that's also on. that's also kind of like where you drafted him, right? You drafted him as a flex play, like in the seventh, eighth round, like sixth round. So I think, you know, the upside he does present doesn't matter if their chemistry isn't there. It, like like I said earlier and like like Travi reiterated, it takes one play to make. Oh, the oh it's, it's funny because I tried to Michael Hardman. It's the exact same argument. Yeah, but you're oh, drafting Diggs, no. the amount Michael of snaps Hardman's... that Stephon Diggs is going to play no. compared to Michael Hardman but is night and day. It's night and day. No, you guys are sitting here saying it only takes one play, and then yeah, that's all on this weird. But, but Michael Hardman might never play. You mean you need one to be on the field more often? You know, that's one play with the probability being. Yeah, uh, increase because he's on oh the field a lot. One more. play yeah. out of ten snaps is not the same as one play out of. Miko will play more than ten. I will. I will bet you right now. Has a better chance to score this week than McCall Hardman. I would bet. I will bet you right now that Miko plays more than ten snaps. More than make a bet. I'll make a bet. My Stephon Diggs versus your McCall Hardman. No, no, I'm making a bet that Miko Hardman plays more than ten snaps. What no, I mean, do? that was hyperbole, obviously. Oh, but. Right. oh, oh <laughs> now it's a hyperbole. That's what I'm saying. I this wouldn't one... be surprised if he plays okay, like, all right, all right. oh, all right. you know? One, one thing left here, uh, Johnny, what, your one-liner on Chris Herndon, because this was a guy that was hyped up really well in the offseason. Mm-hmm. People might have been drafting him if they waited on tight end. Are you okay with rolling Chris Herndon out this week? Are you ready to put your money where your mouth is on that hype? 
Um, I mean, it's against Buffalo, but yes, if there's a tight end or if there, you know, Sam Darnold has to throw it to somebody and all all the, all the reports out of camp or that him and Chris Herndon are, have been a thing. They're like Booker and, uh, you know, the, the Kardashian girl, it's like unofficial official. That's how good the relationship is. I really like him. He's going to get a ton of targets. And so if, you know, you were one of the late ones uh, to get a tight end. I don't mind grabbing Chris Herndon and actually starting him. Our next matchup on the docket will be Minnesota at Green Bay, or I'm sorry, Green Bay at Minnesota in the dome with no fans. 45 and a half point over under. Minnesota favored by just under a field goal, so it's practically a pick 'em at this point. So I will go to you, Summy. There's a lot to be – you have a lot of maybe some splaining to do. Last year you were very in on the Minnesota – or was that Detroit? I was going to say. Oh, 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 it's both, on, of, both of them. I thought, the I carry, very I mean, I was in on the Minnesota backfield, absolutely. But the Detroit yeah, one was I thought definitely the offense it. itself might, be, might have been your thing. But I yeah. want you to talk a little bit about this because – Outside of Adam Thielen, we've been wondering if Kirk Cousins can kind of make a rebound based on the lack of weapons. So give me your take, uh, kind of higher level on this Minnesota offense. I mean, listen, I think this offense was pretty good last year. I think it was pretty efficient. I think Kirk Cousins delivered. It was a first year that as a starting quarterback, he didn't finish as a QB1. Um, but that's I think he has delivering, Sammy. Listen, that's, he's, in a, he's in a good bounce back spot, right? Because Gary Kubiak last year was an offensive consultant. And I really do think he was a ventriloquist to uh, Kevin Stefanski's offensive scheme. Um, now he, he has full reins, uh, Gary Kubiak does. So Kirk Cousins stays in, you know, second year in, uh, in, a, in, a, in an efficient system. He does lose digs, which is something that I don't like to see. But he still has weapons with Adam Thielen, Irv Smith developing his second year. Um, so I like Kirk Cousins in this spot. Uh, against Green Bay, against a division rival, uh, primarily because it's a 1 p.m. game and you know it's not a it's not a primetime game. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins in primetime is never trustable. But uh, I do think Kirk yeah, Cousins he, is, he's is usually a, is got a, one big game against us, and then we we smack him up pretty good the second game, us yeah. being the Green Bay Packers. So I, th- I think I think those big games that. come at home too. Yeah, that's so. true. Well, no, actually, we won the division uh, in Minnesota last. That's right. Monday that's night right. game at the end. So, but uh, yeah, Kirk Cousins. Listen, as a, as a late round quarterback, you can do a lot worse. Um, as far as the running game goes, I think you know last year we saw how Green Bay was extremely porous uh, against the run, and I think you know that that maintains again this year. They were actually 23rd worst versus running backs in 2019. Uh, you guys, you have linebackers like Christian Kirk, Oren Burks. You know they were easy to pick on last year. They picked up uh, uh, Kamal Martin in the fifth round of the uh, of this year's draft, but he's on the uh, the the three week IR now. So there's not much depth back there. I do think that this is a, a defense that we can continue picking on in this season. Um, you know, playing our running backs against them, I think they'll let up plenty of fantasy points. So I like Dalvin Cook a lot this week, but you're going to start him no matter what. Uh, what do you guys think about Alex, Alexander Madison? Like, is he just a handcuff, or do you think he'll have some more involvement in this Gary Kubiak scheme? I am viewing him as more of a handcuff. I actually think without Stefanski there, he and Gary Kubiak has just been a monster at one guy, even more than Stefanski has been as a play caller. And at least there's more track record to prove that with Kubiak as a play caller. So yeah, I'm all about Dalvin Cook. and, and then But Madison is one of the most valuable handcuffs there is. The question I thought was the burning question here, and Johnny, maybe I'll toss it to you here. Like Adam Thielen obviously is loaded and grandfathered in for so many targets here, right? 
But what is your take on maybe outside of him? Um, we're hearing now Ola B.C. Johnson or th- uh, like jump leapfrogging Justin Jefferson, even though he was a first round pick. Is there any interest in this in these other wide receivers here? I don't have any uh, interest in him. I, you know, I understand that, uh, you know, it's a wide receiver too. And if we were interested in, Je- in Justin Jefferson, then clearly, I guess you should be interested in in uh, in Johnson. But I just don't think that there's going to be a lot of consistent pass uh, receptions going around to where I I think that I would want him. Like I think there's going to be uh, bigger names on the waiver wire that you would want to get or uh, guys that you would want to start even week one uh, over a guy like uh, Johnson or Justin Jefferson. Listen, one thing I could add on here is Gary Kubiak in his, I think, 21 years of being a head coach or OC. Um, out of all of those offenses, I tallied up the total amount of wide receiver tar- wide receiver targets per year. So how many targets go to the wide receiver position on average in this offense? It's less than 300, which is probably, I would put my money on it, it's probably bottom five in this league right now. Mm-hmm. Most of you know, do go to the wide receivers, but then you have a lot of tight end involvement, a lot of running back involvement as well. So Adam Thielen's going to be really the main primary go-to option in this offense. And the other pass catchers like Justin Jefferson, who's kind of just redundant to Adam Thielen is not really, you know, they're not really going to have any sort of value here. All right. So what do you, how's your thought process working on Kyle Rudolph? Because they've got Irv Smith there. Irv Smith has been a popular later tight end to kind of invest in. Um, do you think that it's Irv Smith time and he's rolling through, or do you actually like Kyle Rudolph? Or are you kind of fading both tight ends? Cause they both exist. Uh, so with Kyle Rudolph, I, I foresee him this year being a touchdown or bust. It's something that we've kind of seen the last two years with Kyle Rudolph. He is touchdown or bust, but I think Irv Smith, will have those end zone opportunities, but he'll also be targeted. I think his ADOT is going to be around 12, 13 yards down the field. He's athletic. Uh, he's going to be a, a really strong outside weapon for this offense. And having a big body out there like that, while Kyle Rudolph soaks up the middle targets, uh, I think that offense could hum. Uh, especially with two tight end sets, you have you know heavy sets for Dalvin Cook to run out of. Uh, this offense just looks like it's primed to be really efficient. I like Irv Smith as a deep flyer uh, if you're in like a 12, 14 teamer. All right, so that, you know, we know this defense is good for Minnesota, or, or it should be, um, but it's going to be facing uh, some early tough tests and none other than the greatest quarterback. Summy, let me let me ask you this, Summy. Sorry to cut oh. you off, Travis. Let me just ask you. How, trying to stroke off Aaron yeah. Rodgers on the yeah. air. Well, I, I just had to stop <laughs> it. I had to stop it. But let me just ask you, Summy, what would be the most what would be the most uh wob you would spend on uh the Minnesota Vikings defense? Just curious. Most what? Most wob that you would drop on uh, the Minnesota Vikings defense. I'm just curious. Wob. Yeah. Wob. You mean waiver acquisition budget? So like fat yeah. dollars. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wouldn't spend a single dime. Uh, this the oh. secondary is going to be the secondary is going to get exposed by Aaron Rodgers week one. Oh. It's oh. it's one of the youngest secondaries in the league, inexperienced. Uh, outside of the the elite safety duo that they have, they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna be hurting. I oh, think this is gonna be, gonna be able to attack. Gonna be torched by none other than. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers just ripping them apart. So really, that's this is actually a quarterback we could spend a little more time on. Maybe not so much for week one, but Austin, this is a guy that's been kind of a tumultuous pick in fantasy. 
you know, spent years at the top, top five, you know, number two for a lot of years uh, was his guarantee. But now he's relegated to like QB nine by ADP, QB 10. Um, any interest here, you know, after what Summy said in kind of firing up Aaron Rodgers, I imagine if you drafted him, you're looking at starting him. You know, I understand the hesitation on Aaron Rodgers, given his lackluster performance, especially given what we're used to out of the Super Bowl champ. MVP and I understand that he's playing for Matt LaFleur who's doing a run heavy system and that's clearly demonstrated by how efficient he's been with Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams and now the new toy tree trunks himself and AJ Dillon but I want to remind the the listeners of this is Aaron Rodgers he is a bad man Mr. R-E-L-A-X himself and he plays with a chip on his shoulder like this dude is petty all right he's also a former uh, celebrity Jeopardy champ and he's working on a different level. And the main level, the baseline code that this guy has, um, the first word that comes to mind is revenge. You know, when he was with Mike McCarthy, he would remind him all the time of Mike McCarthy selecting Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers uh, 15 years ago when he was the OC for San Francisco. And Aaron Rodgers busts out and does things that really only Aaron Rodgers does. And last season, it wasn't like he was unable of performing. I mean, in week four, he dropped 422 yards. Um, In week seven, he dropped 429 yards and five touchdown passes. Okay, we're talking about elite performances that he pulled out last year with a really indecisive receiving core. It hasn't gotten so much better from a talent perspective, but when we talk about cohesion, this is actually one of those units that didn't add a single wide receiver in the draft. The only person they picked up in free agency. I never thought somebody could spin not adding a wide receiver in Green Bay as a positive (laughs) take. I am so proud of that right there. That's an actual really good positive take. That was like, uh, that was Olympics right there. And you're going to see an Olympic performance out of Aaron Rodgers as he's frustrated with all of this hate that's been coming in. Alan Lazard has been rolling into that number two role. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scantling has been showing his burners. And Devontae Adams might be poised for the best receiving performance in the NFL this season. I mean, when you hear guys asking, um, uh, I think it was Keenan Allen was just asked, who do you study game film for? And he said, Devontae Adams, best route runner in the NFL. And I think there was a quote that also came out today where Adams was like, he finished the year at like 70% with his toe, meaning like he wasn't a hundred percent. So that's something to watch too. Like if he's, if he really wasn't feeling a hundred percent watch. So we know that connection exists. We know it's Rogers to Adams all day long. We know that's happening. So can someone on this panel, please crack the Omega code. That is the Aaron Jones, because now it looks like LaFleur wants to bring in another running back in A.J. Dillon. But actually, Aaron Rodgers was just quoted in a press conference saying that Jamal Williams may have had their best camp in Green Bay, period. So now we've got Jamal Williams not being cut, not being traded, but actually being by his signal caller. It just makes me kind of want to barf in my mouth a little bit, uh, Sammy. Can you crack this code for me? You know what's the, the funniest part about everything is the fact that they did pass on a pass catcher in the third round, but instead chose to take a running back who they're not, who's their third string, who's not even yeah. going to see the, Like, what is the logic in this, Matt LaFleur? What are you doing? Are you playing chess here? Are you playing some mind games? Like, what is it that you're trying to accomplish here when you have Aaron Jones and a more than competent Jamal Williams on the roster? Uh, listen, I like Jamal Williams in a deep, deep league, like t- even 12 teamers sometimes, you know. We're going to see. Aaron Jones owners this year come up and ask us questions 
hey, why the hell is he being pulled off the field every other series? Just like last year. Just like and that. he was hyper efficient, sure, but I don't I find it really hard I I'm really hard pressed to think that he repeats that season. And I think Jamal Williams will be involved, even though he is due for some touchdown regression. I think in PPR leagues he'll he'll have a solid floor as a you know, a flex play at worst. I just want to come out and say that I think that Green Bay Packers, though, as an overall team from a fantasy perspective, are going to be so incredibly frustrating because of the points Sammy just mentioned of how Matt LaFleur seems to rotate personnel. You're watching Aaron Jones last season just bust off nasty series, right? Like chunker, chunker, breakaway. Not enough to get gassed, just enough to start getting in a rhythm. And then what happens next? Play Jamal Williams is in there. And it's like... It's like he's doing his rotation based on a clock, not based on the hot hand. And it is hard to argue with the production. I mean, the team finished the best they had in a really long time, but you still saw the way that it was being orchestrated and had, I was scratching my head being like, are they just getting lucky right now with these outcomes? Because it doesn't seem like they're maximizing their potential, the players they have on the field. Yeah. All right. So, Johnny, anybody outside of Adams in the passing game that you're looking, the tight ends, the the you know ancillary wide receivers, anybody in the passing game outside of Aaron Jones and Adams you're comfortable starting for this week one matchup? No, I mean, if I'm in a really deep league, Alan Lazard is definitely a, would be on my radar in, a radar in that case. But other than a deep league, uh, Devontae Adams is going to get peppered. Like, he, he could honestly see, like, 12 to 15 targets this game like it he could see a lot um and so yeah but if if there is another wide receiver that or tight end that i would consider starting in this case it would be alan lazard yeah. all right so i also just want to just want to just want to mention one name robert tanyan he could he could uh break out he's an extremely athletic tight end and losing jimmy graham they're gonna like aaron Rodgers well, loves jace, going to the tight end jace the end sternberger has no no he doesn't uh, have an athletic uh, bone in his body yeah, don't yeah, don't even look his way i'm just saying he just hasn't done what we we drafted yeah he saw he, what he saw like what did he see like three targets last year three we, catches well, like, he was hurt he hold was on hurt we hold on that. can we just can we just put an end to trying to make a tight end in green bay a thing it's not a thing yeah, it's never no but it well, has I mean, been a we, thing for listen, uh, we, for matt lafleur so yeah yeah, yeah, and the and the Shanahan style offense. All right, yeah. so moving on to uh, the next matchup, it's a divisional matchup in the NFC East. Washington uh, visits, uh, will get a visit from Philadelphia. Uh, it's a 42 and a half point over under, with uh, Philly favored by almost six. So here's the situation: like Philly's got a lot going on, right, Johnny, or a lot not going on with that wide receiving core based on injury, even their first round pick in Jalen Rieger. Give me your view of this Philly passing attack. Yeah, so actually I think, um, I mean, you're definitely going to start Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you want to get him in your lineup for sure because uh, last last year on week one, he had eight receptions for on nine targets for 154 yards and two touchdowns. And then we also know that there are three things uh, that uh, that are true, and that is death taxes and that Deshaun Jackson will go crazy on week one uh, because he has six career 100-yard outings on his week one in his career. And so it's like, yeah, like I know you don't want to bank on like past production in order to uh, try to indicate future success all the time, 
But in this instance, I will also say it pairs really well with the narrative that, you know, they are significantly out of wide receivers there uh, for Philly. Although Rieger was a full participant in practice today, which is very, very interesting. Uh, It will be interesting if he'll be able to give it a go because he had the uh, tear, the labrum tear that he'll have to wait till after the season to repair. But the guy that I'm going to tell you about, the guy that I'm going to say that you should go pick up uh, right now before the week one waiver wire madness, uh, and that's going to be J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who a lot of people have forgotten about, uh, but he is a second-year wide receiver, and uh, he has been having a really, really good camp. And with all these injuries, it's looking like uh, he's going to step into that position. I also think that it could have been a reason why they're so confident in trying to trade Alshon Jeffrey is because they like what's uh, what they're seeing from JJ. All right. So, Sammy, I want to ask you about high draft pedigree. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Definitely high draft pedigree. Could be one of those second year. Sorry. Ask you about the you're good. Wanted to ask you about the tight ends a little bit because obviously Zach Ertz was kind of a value this year based on just what he brings to the table in continuity in this offense. But then you've got Dallas Goddard sneaking in a top ten finish last year at the position. So kind of what's your take here for the tight ends? Are you interested, especially in this blow up spot potentially as favorites for this offense? Listen, I love Dallas Goddard. I think uh, Dallas Goddard he's in the same position as Irv Smith. Um, kind of right where it's like takes one injury to uh Kyle Rudolph or Zach Ertz and you have automatically maybe a top five tight end on your hands um and even without those injuries you still have a a stable floor I mean you look at this offense 222 targets to the tight end position last year 212 the year before that and that was Dallas Goddard's first year so so you're seeing a large chunk of these targets go to the tight ends and I, I listen, Dallas Goddard, he's going to be a future star. Um, I do think Zach Ertz, you know, he might be able to return some value just because of the injuries to Jalen Rager and Alshon Jeffrey. It's looking like he's going to be back before week seven, probably like week three, week four. That's my, that's my estimated timeline on him. But this offense runs through the tight ends and I, I love both of them. You know, they're both solid. I think that's a great take on that core. And while you're trying to figure out outside of Deshaun Jackson and, and Rager's injury, of course, who you can kind of go with. Love Johnny's contrarian take there of J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, though. We have not hear, heard that name a lot. So I'm going to move it to the other side of the ball. Before I let Johnny and, and Summy kind of gush over Dwayne Haskins' possibility of a waiver wire ad later this year, Austin, I want to talk to you a little bit about Antonio Gibson because this is a guy that watched Adrian Peterson get cut out of the lineup. Now he's become one of the favorites in the fantasy industry to draft with a lot of upside this year or a sleeper, if you will. He's being drafted I mean, shoot, in our league of record, I took him in the fourth. Um, so he's going up there in, you know, standard leagues in a lot of leagues. But now J.D. McKissick is the starter of this uh, offense, apparently, per Ron Rivera today. They will work a RBBC. So talk to Whisper Nation. Can you feel comfortable starting a guy in Antonio Gibson that you drafted, feeling that it was all engines go for this offense? Well, you know, we're seeing a lot of this coach speak coming out as these preliminary depth charts are released. We saw the one you just mentioned here uh, in Washington. We saw Sean McVay in Los Angeles anoint Malcolm Brown ahead of Cam Akers. And I don't think anybody who's been looking at this is really buying into that as a, a signifier of what type of production we can expect. So with that, I'm not really buying into it. Um, I'm also going to just ask everybody to temper their expectations in week one week one in the nfl is a weird 
a weird week. Um, things happen that we are, we're basing a lot of these projections on what happened last year. And it's exactly that last year. So you have to stitch a lot of it together. It's more art than it is science at this point. And when you just look at Antonio Gibson, the way he plays the game, I mean, he could be a fantasy juggernaut for you. Somebody who is nimble, athletic, um, high motor, high speed. And if he's going to be getting the volume that he looks like he probably will throughout the course of the season in Washington, you love that. And you also don't mind if they're up or they're down on the scoreboard because he's going to be in on third downs, going to be catching those passes. Um, and if he's up, I mean, actually, the thing you might be afraid of the most is if they're up by 20 points. And that's when Bryce Love could be getting some of that garbage time. But I don't think we're going to see many scenarios where the Washington <laughs> football team is don't up by 20 points at all, um, especially in a late game situation. So it's a, it's a really nice start. Um, based on opportunity, based on play style. And um, I'm not really buying into any of the coach speak on these preliminary depth charts. Listen, Johnny, I just just did want to say, speaking to that point of them grinding out the clock, I do think that, you know, Washington's front four, they're kind of sneaky good. And, you know, we could see them controlling this game against Philly. I mean, Mm. to be quite honest, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of this pass rush. I'm afraid of this defense. You know, they have studs on that line. And I, you know, they could take, they have the potential to take over a game and, and, and really Philly's control. offensive line has yeah. actually been dinged yeah. up by yeah. a, Rival a big way this, this, uh, this off season. So, and we know, and, and we know the way, you know, Ron Rivera loves to play hard nosed football. That's, yeah. That's his style. Well, and they're saying that, uh, Peyton Barber will probably get him and Bryce Love will split the one and two down carries, uh, between them, between them. But I would actually say that. Don't be surprised when uh, you when you see uh, Peyton Barber get 15 to 18 touches in this game because I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to give him the ball that much. We're not going to like it, but they are. Uh, Antonio Gibson is going to be an interesting. Yeah, 15 to 18 carries for 18 yards. I can't wait. Yeah, no, it's yeah, it's going to be ugly. You're not going to like it, and you're not going to right. hundred uh, percent. You're not going to want something start. we will like, and that's Terry McLaurin, Johnny. Hold on, we McLaurin. didn't even talk about the Philadelphia Eagles running backs, which I think we definitely have to talk about. We're not done yet. I'm still talking about Terry McLaurin right now. Did you? All right, we could go to the, but we could we could talk about. Do you want to talk about? Are, well, I mean, are you not starting? Are you not starting Miles Sanders? He's your first no. round pick. Well, you? you're definitely starting Miles Sanders for sure. Yeah, but uh, you also should start Boston Scott um, because Boston Scott will get a lot more uh, work than a lot of people think, and uh, he averaged ten touches per game in the final eight games of last year, and uh, and so. He's going to get volume, especially with Miles Sanders banged up, and then Marty saying that they're going to ease him in, uh, do that, uh, ease Miles Sanders into the game. Miles Sanders was a, a full practice today on Wednesday, right? If Correct. I'm not mistaken, I think I saw that. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So it's still I, something to monitor, but for sure, yeah, I totally I just, agree with you. John. I don't know if I'm. You're, you're, oh, so you you're starting Boston Scott this week? No, no, I wouldn't start him, but I know he has flex appeal. I would uh, flex he, him. Yeah, you'd flex him for sure. I mean, if listen, if you're flexing Boston Scott, you really mess up at your drafts. I'll let you know that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. like, oh, but not Boston necessarily. Was like the four, Boston yeah. Scott was taken in like the 14th round. I'll like, take. I'll take. Any other, I'll say Boston Scott. Early. I'll take Boston Scott over Stephon Diggs. Give me, give me uh, the total points of Boston Scott over Stefan Diggs this weekend. What would you like to put on this? I, I would love to. I would love to take you up on this. All right, deal. Let's uh, 
What's a wager? Let's 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 give it to yeah. our audience here. Let's, let's give a wager yeah. here. What um, do you want to do? Shoot, if you're in New York, I'd be like, listen, you gotta do my laundry for a week. But uh, <laughs> the old Michael Scott Dwight Schrute. Yeah, the old Michael Scott Dwight Schrute thing. Um, let me well, think, we'll think about it. Yeah, let's think we'll about it. Out. it happens we'll tweet it out. That's actually, yeah. that's actually a good time to, to mention. Follow our Twitters, you know, because we'll tweet it out and you guys yeah. can follow along. On that. That's a good. So. You're obviously rolling with Terry McLaurin, and if you're not, you're just not on the bandwagon yet, and you should be. Anybody want to make a case for anybody outside of him in the Washington passing attack? You know, basically the question is Logan Thomas, who's been picking up a lot of steam in the offseason or, you know, any of these guys. But I, I would I would kind of say fade what's going on in Washington. Yeah, I think they could surprise. I think they could be a little bit better um, than people expect that that all depends on Dwayne Haskins, this offensive line. Um, the new offensive system. Logan Thomas, to me, listen, I'm not buying it. I think one analyst, I think it started with J.J. Zacharyson. Um, he mentioned Logan Thomas, and then it's yeah, kind of just like a game lot. of telephone, yeah. right? Like in the fantasy industry, it's like everyone picks up what the other person's doing. I'm not buying it. I don't think tight ends in this offense are going to have that much value, but um, Steven Sims could be a, a, a flex-worthy play. He might be a waiver wire pickup after week one if we see that he's getting the volume in the slot. All right, so we're moving on to the next game, which is another divisional battle, okay? So we've got Baltimore and Cleveland. If you looked at Cleveland's tape last year, you saw their one good game after a extremely hyped offseason was actually against Baltimore. I believe that was in week four. This game has a 48.5 point over-under, one of the higher over-unders on the week. But, it, you know, a lot of it's from Baltimore being favored by 7.5 in this one. Obviously, on the Baltimore side of things, what was, what was that? I said, give me Cleveland with that line. Oh, you you like, uh, well, that's, you know, I actually read this earlier that Cleveland's a good value in, in a lot of games early this year because they were such a hype yep. team last year that they're going to be, and they underperformed, they're going to be undervalued. So a little yep. bit of betting insight there from uh, Summy, a little lock there. But as far as the passing attack here works for Lamar and, and company, look, I think you set it and forget it with Lamar, obviously. He averaged 82 rushing yards versus Cleveland last year, has been a top five fantasy QB and three starts against them. Uh, there's no question. Marquise Brown is back, fully healthy, put weight on, looks great. I think if you can't smash putting Marquise Brown similar to the Fuller and to Sean Jackson takes, you've got to get him into your li lineup. And, of course, Mark Andrews, you drafted him early. You're putting him in there. I did just want to say he was the tight end eight in points per game or better in five of his seven games. And his highest snap rate in any of those games was 53%. He never played more than 58% snap share. If anybody can match what I think should be Kittle as the most used tight end in the league, it's Mark Andrews because he's just going to wreck this year, I think. And so that brings us, Sammy, to the backfield. And I want you to give a little bit of what you think happens. Uh, I think, you know, we saw J.K. Dobbins end up fourth on the depth chart, obviously coach speak, but we've got Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, especially early in the year, Mark Ingram should dominate touches here. Yeah, I mean, listen, J.K. Dobbins, It's it's been said that he's going to have heavy involvement or he's going to have a significant role in this offense. Sure, he might. I mean, what's a significant role, though, right? That's pretty subjective. Um, I think Mark Ingram is still going to dominate this backfield, and Gus Edwards is still on the roster there. Uh, you know, I know J.K. Dobbins, there's high draft capital there. But, Austin, what do you feel about J.K.'s involvement compared to Gus Edwards? Like, do you think that they're going to roll with Gus, or do you think they're going to get I felt I felt so bad for the Gus bus his entire career. This is a man who's averaging five yards a carry, like, all the time, and all they keep doing is drafting halfbacks ahead of him in Justice Hill and J.K. Dobbins. 
It reminds me of Tim Tebow winning a playoff game with the Denver Broncos and then him never starting another game in his entire career. It's like, what do you got to do, you know? And maybe there's something I'm not seeing, but the yards per carry, the production have been great. I haven't heard of any kind of character or locker room issues, but all I see them doing is putting running backs up ahead of him. So that's always given me pause. And it seems like John Harbaugh always just has a stacked running back crew over there. I mean, we could go back a couple of years and there'd be like four running backs who it's this year, he's going to break out. You know, Kenneth Dixon came to There's a lot of guys who are over there and it may, gives me pause. It's one of those things where Mark Ingram is the guy. Mark Ingram just got paid. I know he's 30, but he just got paid. They want him to be the be the role, the, the main man over there. And I think it makes the most sense for J.K. Dobbins to be fitting in, but it's just really hard to say when they've got a couple of high-drafted pedigree guys right behind him and then Gus Edwards, who is averaging five-something yards a carry. So it's hard to predict. It's one of those let's wait and see for me of how it goes. I would not be starting anyone outside of Mark Ingram this week. Let's just watch, enjoy the games, and make a strategic decision for week two of a running back other than Mark Ingram. That's how I would take it. Everything that you said is also not even counting Lamar Jackson's rushing attempts. You know, we know that even if he's, he said he's going to pass the ball more, we know he's still going to run the ball. Like I still have him going over a thousand yards rushing on the season. So like we still have to factor that in. Sure. Comparing sure. that Ingram and Lamar are going to rush. We know that, right? This is yeah. the highest rushing team by almost 98 more rushing attempts than any other team. That's right. Wild. But I think the point that I like to make and the one that I put out on Twitter earlier 220 carries were from people not named Lamar Jackson or Mark Ingram last year. 37% of the rushing market share. That 220 rushing attempts would have been 18th most in the NFL. Dobbins has room here to work with the draft capital, with his ability to be a well-rounded, a much more talented running back than some of the other ones that we've talked about here uh, in previous Baltimore years. He's got room to work, and I think as 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 favorites by more than a touchdown here, you know, this is kind of a situation. Yeah, you you probably want to wait and see on some of these rookies like J.K. Dobbins, but this is a good spot. I think Dobbins could eat here for for sure. On the other side of the field, we've got to talk about Cleveland, okay? Uh, we've got to talk about Baker Mayfield only being uh, top 10 QB four times in 2019, okay? We saw, you know, I know Summy loves Kirk Cousins, but he was the QB 18 under Stefanski. We know they want to run the football a ton here. So I don't see a situation, especially against well, last year's number Kirk four. Cousins, Kirk Cousins was a QB 13, number one, last year. Oh, Between weeks one right, and 16. Let's let's think that the three yeah. was closer. Don't, don't, don't slight Kirk Cousins like that, all right? <laughs> not starting. You little, you little not homer. I know what you're doing. I know what you're not doing. Start worthy here. Uh, I know what you're doing. Either way, no, that's that's fine. <laughs> I think you know Johnny's been making. You've been making the case a lot this season that it's going to be hard to trust the volume that may not be there in the Cleveland offense as far as the passing attack. So talk to me a little bit about how you're feeling in the passing attack for Cleveland, Johnny, in this game. I mean, they're going to definitely have to pass the ball. They're going to probably be down, and Vegas thinks they're also going to be down. So um, they're going to have to pass to come from behind. So uh, I I actually, I mean, it's not a great matchup. You don't want to start Baker. I'm not going to start him. Um, but, you know, you're going to start OBJ. You're going to start Jarvis Landry. You don't. Especially in a PPR format, I think Landry kind of eats your Yeah, sure. one, thing, one thing also to point out is, you know, while – Baltimore had the fourth toughest pass defense last year. They were susceptible to passes out of heavier personnel's personnel groupings, like you know, twelve or uh, uh, you know, just anything with two tight ends on the field. Uh, they were a lot more susceptible to getting 
tread through the air. So I think Stefanski bringing that offense um, and allowing Baker a little bit more time in the pocket. And, uh, you know, you look at you look at Kirk Cousins last year. He was pretty efficient. And I, th- I do think he's going to bring that to Baker. I think Baker's going to have a phenomenal season, even with the low passing volume that we are projecting here. Oh, yeah. I think he's he's going to definitely be efficient and have a great year. Uh, but it's just for fantasy-wise, it's probably going to give you headaches. You're not going to be able to trust it. Yeah, I could see that. But, right, you know, so he, does, he does have a number two receiver, by the way. Bre- the best number two receiver in Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we know what you're doing there. It's getting it. a real Browns Boom. talk. A little Brown here. talk right there. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the running game. We obviously know Nick Chubb is great. I, this is kind of reminding me of the Saints a little bit, where a lot of people started this offseason thinking Kareem Hunt could have some flex appeal, kind of like Latavius Murray was supposed to have flex appeal uh, with the Saints. But then we saw, like, if, if Alvin Kamara or Nick Chubb is fully healthy, is there any reason to think that Kareem Hunt will have that sex appeal? Or sex appeal? Wow, <laughs> uh, nice. Flex appeal. No, what, well, what are you <laughs> thinking about? Freudian I mean, slip there. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I would just say that I think temper expectations and kind of wait and oh, see yeah. on Kareem Hunt's role in Stefanski's op, uh, offense. That's kind of been my take as we got closer to the season because if OBJ and Jarvis Landry and Austin Hooper are all there, and Austin Hooper, who they made the highest paid tight end in the league, does Kareem Hunt really have you know, room to work in this offense? Yeah. They just I mean, signed him again. Yeah, yeah. I think they signed, but it was that team-friendly deal too, where it's like, yeah. okay, he's definitely our backup, right? He's definitely our backup to, to Chubb. I just, I'm, I'm. If we don't believe the passing offense can be that, you know, voluminous, I just don't know if you're really rolling out. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this opportunity to kind of, uh, kind of talk about the misconception that's out there that Chubb is not gonna be, is not gonna deliver on his value. Um, I mean, you look at a guy who was leading the league in rushing yards until Derrick Henry went for 200-something yards in Week 17, you know? They're not going to go away from that. And if you remember last year, what happened with Dalvin Cook in that offense, I mean, Alexander Madison was there. You know, he was he was involved. Like, he, he had barely any flex appeal, but he had flex appeal. And But did you know, he have sex appeal? Yeah. That's that's that's, the, that's the bigger question. That's a burning question. I don't think he did last year. But I think Kareem Hunt does have sex appeal, right? Like... Like you I'll can, tell you, can... you who has sex appeal. <laughs> Gardner Minshew of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Oh, yeah. And the Jaguars are going to be home against the Indianapolis Colts this week in a game that's 45-point over under with Jacksonville eight-point dogs in this one to Indy. Um, we are seeing an, 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 a kind of a revamped Indianapolis offense and Jacksonville kind of shipping away all their talent left and right, including cutting Leonard Fournette. Uh, Austin, talk to me a bit about what you think you can get out of this Jacksonville offense. Uh, outside of disappointment, um, it's <laughs> you know what? Okay. I get that Gardner Minshew is an epic story. I mean, the character, he's, he's, he's moving into legendary status. He's already got this crazy promo deal with Bud Light going. If you draft him in the first, win your championship, go in the raffle, you get free Bud Light for a year. He's got the jorts. He's got the Uncle Rico stash. He's got all the, I, I'm not getting Corona because I'm already the illest. Like all this crazy stuff, right? Like he's, he's that dude. Um, 60.6 passing percentage, 60.6 completion percentage in 2019. Um, 49 deep ball attempts in 13 games. 
this 60.6 completion percentage. The only notable quarterbacks that he's above uh, with this is Josh Allen at 58.8 and Baker Mayfield at 59.4. I'm just not sold on the Gardner Minshew bandwagon yet. Uh, Leonard Fournette did say that Tom Brady is the first quarterback that he's had. I know that he's feeling some types of way about the whole thing over there, but Gardner Minshew still has a lot to prove to me before we're going to anoint him as an NFL quarterback. I'm just not there yet. I know Johnny might have a... I disagree with that stat there with that take. Um, but then when you look at the rest of the playmakers, DJ Shark is a beast. I love DJ Shark. Um, he did have 118 targets and 70, 73 receptions for over 1,000 yards um, last season. And now, though, he's the number one. It wasn't even DJ Shark's uh, wide receiver room last season to start it off. It is now. We know where he's coming. We know what his role is. We know the relationship he does have with Minshew. And I think that he could just, just force feed DJ Shark in a way that – um, we've seen other quarterbacks, I'm going to say, maybe aren't the best quarterbacks, but do have a good wide receiver, really lean on those. Um, whether it be like Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall or Jameis Winston and Mike Evans, you have these quarterbacks who maybe aren't the most um, accurate or make the best decisions, but they know they have a real talent and they go ahead and they hit it. And DJ Shark to me is that dude. I really like him a lot. Um, I want to touch in on the running backs, though, because that's been the story coming out of Jacksonville as Leonard Fournette, their former first round pick, early draft, I think fourth overall a couple of years ago, um, was shipped out, was just let go. And now James Robinson, who the heck is that, is starting for the Jags after Devin Zigbos popped up with the tissue issue and Chris Thompson was never going to be that early down carrier as is. James Robinson is a little bit more interesting when you start looking in than I had expected him to be. I mean, there's not a ton of information out there. He's a rookie coming in, right? He had 5.6 yards per carry at Illinois State, um, just 16 catches for 80 yards. So he's not a huge pass catching halfback, but that's why they have Chris Thompson. When you look at his player profile comps, though, it's Ken Dixon, who's whatever. And then Ken Dixon's profile prompt, though, is Jay Ajay, who is just a fun name to say, and we all can remember those 200-plus <laughs> yard games, 200-plus yard games. Jay Ajay is just a guy or maybe a little bit above on that. So James Robinson, though, to me, it looks like he is going to get a really healthy week one load coming in with this new issue with the Zigbo. And barring game flow, I think Robinson could be an all-right start this week if you had to put him in your flex. That's what I wanted to ask, and some of y'all ask you because we've already got it. I've already got it a couple times on Twitter because he's been such a popular pickup based on how he came out of nowhere. Are you okay with starting James Robinson? I mean, it wasn't like Indy's rush defense was so crazy good last year. Yeah, listen, I, I like James Robinson. I love the talent. I love, um, you know, his pass catching ability. It's there. Uh, I I like the opportunity that he's been handed with Leonard Fournette being shipped out. And listen, James Robinson, I think he could be a sneaky, sneaky, valuable pickup this year. And I'm actually pretty salty I didn't get him in any of my leagues because I was busy and everyone else is a scavenger on the waiver wire. And they pick up the, the guy as soon as he becomes available. So not salty at all, but, you know, I, I, I like James preparing for this show, so we appreciate exactly. that. Yeah, we exactly. appreciate that. We'll move it to the other side of the ball. Austin, we're talking Indianapolis's uh, passing attack. Phillip Rivers has not been a guy that we really ad advised Whisper Nation to pick up as their fantasy QB, but tell me what he can kind of do for this passing attack on the other side for, for Indy. You know, the interesting thing about Phillip Rivers is this is a new team that he has signed on with, uh, the Indianapolis Colts, and he's, you know, getting up there in age. He's been playing in the NFL for a long time. He's 38 years old right now. Which is, which is getting up there. But last year at age 37, it was 
the, he threw for the most amount of yards he has in his entire career at 4,615 yards. So he's clearly still got it. And one could argue the weapons he's now dealing with in Indianapolis are very comparable in terms of, of pedigree, in terms of production that he dealt with over in uh, Los Angeles and San Diego. I mean, I'm not... It, you got Keenan Allen, you had Mike Williams when he was in, um, you had Hunter Henry, you had Austin Eckler. It's a really, really star-studded lineup that he was dealing with, but now you've got Marlon Mack, you got rookie Jonathan Taylor, you got Neam Hines, who ain't no slouch. T.Y. Hilton, who Andrew Luck called the greatest football player he'd ever played with, is still just 30 years old. Um, for a wide receiver, I'm not nervous at all by a wide receiver hitting age 30. A running back, I might get a little pause. I don't care about a, a wide receiver hitting 30. I'm actually like, their mental game is just taking a jump. They, they know how to prepare. So despite T.Y. Hilton having some injury issues last season, giving some career lows, uh, so far T.Y. Hilton looks to be the guy. He looks to be good. Paris Campbell, um, similar to J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, was a rookie drafted high in the 2019 draft who did not perform very well he was dealing with a lot of injuries but he's healthy right now the coaching staff loved him in training camp last year they love him this year he's going to get an opportunity to show what he's about um and jack doyle who does really well with a lot of volume he's not going to be blazing anybody down the field but those tiny hands can catch passes and Philip Rivers kind of likes to go to his tight end. So I don't think he's going to have a hole at that position. I think everywhere that Philip Rivers wants to go, he's going to have a reliable option. And I think you're going to see really good streamable performances from Philip Rivers all season long. I love the breakdown there. Summy, we have been in contact about this running back core a lot this offseason because nobody has maybe been higher on Jonathan Taylor that I know of than you. Maybe J.J. Zacharyson a little bit, but Jonathan Taylor is a popular pick, and he's getting even popular as we get close to the beginning of the season. How are you feeling about his week one prospects in this game where they're they're becoming pretty high favorites? I love it. Um, I oh, there you uh, there. Then it happened. Yeah, that's all we need to know. He loves it. Yeah, he loves said. it. <laughs> he um. He had texted us that he froze. He had texted us that he froze, and we're like, no, 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 you're good. And then and then he froze once he started talking. So we'll see. We'll see if we can. If want to wait for him or just kind of keep rocking with it? Keep rocking, man. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I, you know, similar to Summy's some, take on this, I kind of like the situation, too. Obviously, I've drafted Jonathan Taylor, so I'm a little invested. But I like the fact that they're large uh, favorites in this game. And so that good, even, no matter if Marlon Mack is the true starter and does get the bulk of the work, Jonathan Staley, Taylor geez, should still be able to eat in this particular matchup because of how favored they are. And I think that they end up running the clock out. And I think this is the way this defense wants to, uh, this, this team wants to rock and roll with it. All right. So moving on to our next matchup. On the docket, we have this actually has a sneaky uh, opportunity to be a really profitable fantasy football matchup, and that's Carolina right. at Las Vegas uh, this week. We've got Carolina. I'm just trying to find this over under here. Uh, we've got Carolina at Las Vegas here, um, and that is a 47 and a half point over under with Carolina dogs by three points. So Las Vegas actually favored in a pick'em. Um, all right. Get it. Sorry. 
Yeah, I'm good. Uh, so, Johnny, when you take a look at this passing attack, you know, I know that Teddy Bridgewater was a guy that you were looking at as like a late round QB, but not somebody maybe that you're going to fire up week one. Although this matchup, you know, 14, 16 team uh, leagues and you did go Teddy Bridgewater super late, you could actually be looking at, correct? Yeah, I mean, I like this matchup. I think if you're in a pickle and need something, um, uh, Teddy Bridgewater, or if you're in a two quarterback league, uh, then I think it's I think you could definitely do a lot worse than Teddy Bridgewater. All right, and so then we move on. Obviously, CMC. There's no question here. Number one overall pick in a lot of consensus situations. And of course, DJ Moore is one of the most hyped players because of the way that he dominated last year in this offense and the volume that he'll see. I mean, this team is not looking good on defense and will have to throw so much. And DJ Moore fits to be that guy. Austin, Curtis Samuel is a name that has actually been popping up late as a deeper guy um, mm -hmm. in a lot of leagues. Is he going to be a guy that we see maybe on the week one, week two waiver wire because of this particular matchup and maybe a role that he might be able to fit in this very pass happy offense maybe i don't see it happening i see robbie anderson as being that player people are excited to pick up his skill set is more conducive in my opinion to the type of guy you want on your fantasy squad we're talking about a tall burner um you know he just vacated that uh lead wide receiver role in the jets where brashad perriman another tall burner filled it in now robbie anderson didn't do great last year but we know what he's capable of and teddy bridgewater we really don't know what teddy bridgewater is fully capable of first round draft pick back in the day over there um and then broke his leg in a crazy way and he has now come back he's good to go he won a lot of games for the saints last year and i'm so excited to see what he can do with the keys to the car right now and robbie anderson has had a great camp uh it looks like he has moved ahead of curtis samuel i like curtis samuel earlier on in the offseason but then these reports of robbie anderson's performance coming out looked really good and then just how he plays the game and what his natural attributes are make him the more intriguing uh uh fantasy football um ad coming up and i i had dj moore i wanted to grab curtis samuel as kind of i think one of those things too if you have dj moore goes down i think robbie anderson is going to be in a really really good position um and I like that uh take so. on the on on the on the wide receiver two in that carolina offense because i actually do think there's going to be value there if you can find out who it's going to be because yeah. obviously ian thomas has been a guy they they have been trying to make happen in carolina but hasn't quite yet done it and so I think if it's not Ian Thomas, it's definitely going to be one of these second wide receivers. But which one? Will it be a mix of both? Or or I think both, you know, Johnny, you're probably in, in agreement that it's probably Robbie Anderson this year um, outside of DJ Moore. Yeah, I, I, Curtis Samuel is more of like the gadget guy. They want to get him involved in like trick plays. And so with the short offseason of due to COVID, I don't think this is the year for Curtis. Uh, he definitely has the talent, but it, it looks to be more Robbie. You can find a lot more exciting uh, starts other than Derek Carr this week, but he is in a decent matchup. So that means some good things for his weapons, including Josh Jacobs. Nothing really to talk about here. First round pick, you're definitely starting him in this matchup. This is going to be maybe one of the more profitable ones because that schedule does not look great opening up but this one can be now johnny the meat and potatoes of the of the raiders offense is the wide receiving core because it's been getting a lot of hype around two rookies who are named starters today 
Yeah, uh, we've been kind of saying this all along. Uh, oh, I think somebody's coming back on. I think we're going to get them yeah. back in here. Um, but I I was just saying it all off season. Brian Edwards, I really liked him a lot. Uh, and, uh, you know, they named him the starter, especially with uh, Tyrell Williams going out uh, and going on IR. And then you also have Ruggs as well uh, starting. So it will definitely be interesting. Uh, they'll move Ruggs all the way around. I think he's much more of a flex play this week as well as Brian Edwards. If you have to play him, I'd rather just keep him stashed on your bench uh, or go to your waiver wire, see if they're available because Brian Edwards uh, should be picked up if he's available in your league. And obviously, Darren Waller was drafted in the middle of round, so you're going to definitely fire him up in this matchup. Um, I think that, you know, your take here on the wide receiving core is, you know, yeah, you definitely want a piece of this wide receiving core on the season. Maybe it's a wait-and-see approach. Um, if anything, you're flexing one of them, uh, but you probably should not need to at this point in the season. All right, moving on to our next matchup, we have Detroit. And Chicago, Chicago will visit Detroit, and Detroit is a three-point favorite, basically a pick'em in this 43 and a half point over under. Um, this is this is not going to be one of those games where it's a barn burner, really. Um, you like the Detroit offense on on paper, but in this matchup, maybe not so much. Uh, can you hear us? We got you. Yeah, yeah. I was just my okay. uh, my computer is just like blown uh, up right now. You're okay. There you go. Sorry about that. No, it's it happens to us all the time. It's a staple of the show. Yeah, yeah it's week one. It wouldn't be the same without week one. Yeah, it's still uh, kind of lagging. So if I log off again, I'll just try to restart and hop back on. Cool. Uh, sounds good. So we're going to move on to this this Detroit offense because it's definitely one we like, Johnny, in a lot of ways. It's definitely very profitable. But Matt Stafford going up against uh, Khalil Mack and this and this vaunted Bears defense. How are you feeling in week one for Matty Stafford here? Uh, I'm actually a little concerned for Matthew Stafford uh, because, well, you look at the Bears, their pass defense isn't uh, all that great. It's their rush defense that's really, really great with Khalil Mack. Um, and last year they had a down season. Uh, it wasn't, it didn't meet expectations of what, uh, they certainly thought would happen there. Um, but Chuck Pagano has had another full season off season, uh, to continue to understand this defense and grow this defense. And so, you know, it might sound crazy that a guy you're saying, well, I thought you guys were super high on, on Matthew Stafford and, you know, why are you telling me to bench him week one then against the Bears? And I would say that you also look into what Matthew Stafford did last year. I know we like to talk about, hey, he threw for or he was on pace to throw for 5,000 yards and 38 touchdowns. But when you actually look at the teams that he played, he only faced uh, two defenses that were in the top 10 in pass uh, pass defense. So. Um, all the rest were, were bottom finishers, bottom feeders, as we like to say. <laughs> and so that has me concerned because uh, Chicago is definitely going to be bringing a lot uh, with Khalil Mack. And so it, it has some, some cause for concern. However, uh, I do like Kenny G in this game. And I think that uh, when you're looking at his mash, matchup, uh, it's it's definitely nice because you should have Kyle Fuller on him for most of the game, and uh, that is a plus 41 matchup. So I'm definitely starting Kenny G 
And I'm definitely, uh, you know, I would put Marvin Jones in my flex if I needed to, uh, if I, if I, you know, I had that option. I think, listen, Marvin Jones, I don't see much, that much of a difference between Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay personally. Oh my I, gosh. I you said Marvin. the same thing last year. This is absurd. And what did he do last year? He Nothing. Was, he, he didn't do anything. No, he didn't he do anything. He was going off last year, no, Johnny. I don't know what you're talking not. about. He was listen, not. Listen, I might, I might, I might, I might be a little bit biased because I own Marvin Jones everywhere, but um, Marvin Jones out-targeted Kenny Galladay. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I think it was like 7.6 to like 7.4 He had one mega game. game. He had one mega game of the four touchdowns. Other than hey, that, he was garbage. out-targeted at 7.6 to 7.4, my guy? <laughs> hey, out-targeted, right? I got to build a narrative somehow. Oh, yeah, I got to build a narrative. I love it. I love one it. number's bigger. <laughs> This, yeah. It's like the, the things on, no. the it's like the one on, on Twitter. This I is the cannot. classic line on Twitter where you get, well, if you added and extrapolated the five games in 2018, 20, the five games in 2017, and the six nope, games last year. The, just divide then, the yards yeah, by targets. Yeah. That's and then, all. Yeah, and that's then good. you got no, no, you so, have so, a full 11 in all seriousness. In all seriousness, um, Kenny Galladay did pop up with a hamstring issue. So that is a, a cause for concern. Um I do get it. You know, he does have a plus matchup. I do think Akeem Hicks being back in the fold here forces Detroit to throw the ball a little bit more. Um, I love Marvin Jones this week. You know, I think he's more than a flex. I think you can roll him out there as a wide receiver two or three. Well, everybody's got their, you know, wrong and weird takes this week. Uh, yours is Marvin Jones. Johnny's is Cole Hardman. Like, we've just got all these takes that we're rolling with. But I love it. It means we're excited about what's going on in the prospects for these offenses, for these teams, and for fantasy football. So I want to talk about this running back core because you've been on record, Summy, just pumping up on Johnson now for a couple years. And now on Johnson watches as this team drafts DeAndre Swift who then gets hurt in the offseason, and they pick up Adrian Peterson. So here we are with the jumbled mess of this Lions backfield, not knowing what to do here. Sami, do you have any read or take on this week one? And Austin, I'd like you to follow up here too if you've got one uh, after Sami. Sure. Um, I do think Carrion Johnson's opportunity in Detroit is over uh, with them drafting DeAndre Swift and obviously them bringing in Adrian Peterson. just shows that they don't trust him to stay healthy. Uh, I think he does have a role. He'll probably have about 12 to 14 touches, uh, more involvement in the passing game. Uh, I think that's where they're going to use him as um, because Adrian Peterson is going to be the between, between the tackles grinder, uh, at least until DeAndre Swift does get back because he's pretty effective at that too. Um, I think Carrion Johnson's good for the first two or three weeks, just a tough matchup this first week. But I think if he has a solid couple weeks, you can probably find a trade partner. You know, someone's as stupid as me. Uh, pretty high on him, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, and I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling any of the running backs over here. And it's not even so much of who they have rostered, it's who they have at the top of the team and the head coach and Matt Patricia. And he's just shown me to be a guy over the last couple of years that you can't predict what he's going to do. He's not going to make the right call. He's he does not, not make call the, the offense. Call. He doesn't call oh, the yeah, offense. Yeah, yeah. I don't this, care. Is, this is the biggest misnarrative. It's the biggest misnarrative. No, listen, let me finish on this one. I'm talking about this is a man who runs an organization that has no logic instilled throughout it. So while he might go ahead and bring in a play caller who might be logic-based, um, it doesn't mean that he's going into an organization that makes any sense. And Matt Patricia is now with the Detroit Lions. That's an organization that hasn't made sense for decades. Uh, he's a coach who hasn't shown any real acumen or edge or really brings anything to the table. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I haven't seen it yet. If it's coming up, let me know. 
Um, and now you have him talking about Adrian Peterson. You don't go off and get a guy like that unless you're going to be using him in this stuff. He just seems like kind of like an old school guy, but we live in a new school world. And I think he's going to get left behind. And this could be the last season. Matt Patricia is the head coach of the Detroit Lions because he's going to do things like steer away from his best players like he did with Carrion Johnson years back, like he could do with DeAndre Swift this year. Hey, maybe he goes ahead and puts his best roster forward. Good for everybody. Um, I'm just not banking on it. And I would stay away from this backfield until we have a little bit of real examples to base these takes off of. Okay, so that summary... That summary kind of makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, like, no, I it doesn't. That. But at the hold on, hold on, hold on a second, Johnny. I'm going to pitch you here. I know you love DeAndre Swift, my guy. Can you let me? No. Yeah, uh, I get Sorry. it, and that's the point because a lot of people do, and a lot of people are asking the question about DeAndre Swift this week, who is battling the leg injury so much so that they went and got an Adrian Peterson. So, is there any universe this week, Johnny? Because that's what we're on the week no. one matchup show. You don't where you're start starting him. DeAndre Swift. No, you don't start him week one. But it beyond he, he give this time. I'm telling you, it's going. He is the best running back in this in this backfield. It's not even close Perfect. at Perfect. this point. That's the take I wanted. And so, give him time is the take on DeAndre Swift. Yes. And give him time is the take that the Bears are apparently going to do with Mitch Trubisky, and they're going to give him even more time. Even though I think the ship has sailed on him being a startable QB in this league, but I'm not a GM, and Ryan Pace is. Let's talk about the running backs, though, Johnny, because David Montgomery slipped. Ouch, my groin. Uh, but it looks like he might play. Yeah, so it's looking like uh, he is going to play. I mean, they cut down uh, to the only running back that can carry the ball or has carried the ball between the tackles uh, other than Cohen is uh, Neil, the fullback. And so they cut uh, the other rookie running back that would have you know, had the same carries as David Montgomery. So that indicates to me that David Montgomery should be able to give it a full go. The reports are out of camp as well, that the injury uh, was a lot better than they thought it was. And so uh, it's looking like um, it, it should be okay. He will be more of an RB2, a flex option for you if you play him. Uh, I do expect him kind of similar to Miles Sanders to kind of be eased in. I don't expect him to get, you know, a major workload like he normally would. But I think moving, you know, once we get in the middle half of the season, you could start looking for more of a bell cow role for David Montgomery. Summy, uh, we're going to look at this wide receiving core next. Obviously, Allen Robinson, if you drafted him, you're starting him. But Anthony Miller was a popular name. Any room for him to work here, DFS, or what the heck flex for Anthony Miller here? Do we lose him? Summy, we got you. He's, he's, nope. uh, he's breath, uh, so, he took his breath away with the question. Hey, sorry. Uh, Oh, you, oh you got it. You got it. Got it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I think, you, you know, you know, this all started when you asked me about Jonathan Taylor. My computer just got so excited about Jonathan Taylor. <laughs> yeah. that it just kind of shut down on me. Fair so. enough. The question, I guess, was just outside of Anthony Miller, any interest in the pass catching options in Chicago or outside of Alan Robinson? I mean, listen, Anthony Miller, he's a stud. Um, he's going up against Justin Coleman in the slot. Mostly Justin Coleman led up a bunch of yards per route run last year. He wasn't the most effective. Um, 
I do like the matchup. Uh, however, I do think it's going to take some time. I mean, Anthony Miller's going to kind of have to prove it to me. Like, hey, he can be on the field consistently. He's not going to get injured before I really trust putting him into my lineup. So uh, Allen Robinson's really the only guy I'm going to start this week. Um, and I, th- I do think he has a plus matchup as well. But yeah, outside of that, no interest right now. All right, so we've got next on the docket Atlanta at Seattle uh, in this game. We've got Seattle as a favorite by two points and a 49-point over-under, the third highest over-under on the docket. You're going to want a piece of this one. We've got Matt Ryan versus hashtag Mr. Unlimited Russell Wilson. Uh, (laughs) No, 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 it's Mr. Unlimited. Yeah, whatever that uh, he needs to fire his video editing guy. (laughs) He really does. Whatever was going on there. Um but I'm nonetheless, no, no matter how weird Russell Wilson is, that dude can ball. And uh, I am so excited to see what this offense has to do. But we'll start with the Atlanta side of the field because we know what we get, right? We get Matt Ryan consistent for the most part. Uh, QB 10 in points per game last year. Uh, has eclipsed 4,500 yards in seven of his last eight years. We know what we're going to get out of Matt Ryan. We know what we're going to get out of his wide receivers. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. You're starting these guys. You drafted him early, You're go- especially in this matchup. Um, you'd be a fool, but I think we need to focus on the running back situation, which I think if you drafted Todd Gurley in an effort to use him, you better use him here because his knee could be a ticking time bomb. And this is a game, uh, you know, where we're going to get to use him. Summy, I just want to ask you what you think about his usage in the passing game, because he had career lows in receiving yards and, uh, you know, in rushing scores in his McVay era, you know, last year. So what I've read out of L.A. is they were trying to limit him going out of the backfield as a receiver because of his knee. But then we also looked at the offensive line issues in L.A. last year and keeping him back as a blocker. So what's your read on Gurley's usage in the receiving game? Yeah, I mean, listen, it was definitely an offensive line issue. Um, you can't be trotting out 11 personnel all the time and then, you know, have teams get adjusted to that and expect them expect Gurley to continue putting up uh, the efficient numbers that he put up in 2018. Um, so I do think, you know, if Chris Lindstrom, for example, if he pans out for the, for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, if this offensive line is improved, I could see a, a path to Gurley working in the passing game. Um, I could see him being effective, although I don't think that they're going to run the ball as much, right? They're going to keep the ball in the air, like 60% of the, the time they're going to be passing the ball in neutral situations. So, um, I, that's why I do love Matt Ryan, Todd Gurley, not so much, but Todd Gurley, I just think I look at, okay, look at Devonta Freeman. 59 receptions. That was eighth in the NFL last year. So I got to believe that Gurley's got some room here to get it done in the receiving game, right? At least while he's healthy. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, man. It's it's really tough because Gurley, you know, he's a player that I want to love. He's so talented, but it's just the trepidations with his knee and his health. It's just, it's got me all sorts of scared. It's just the competition behind him, though, which is like not competition at all. Even yeah, on a, even on, even if he's seventy five percent, is Brian Hill or Ito Smith really going to challenge him for Johnny's favorite? Oh, Johnny's guy, Ito Smith. So, so they they actually invested heavily at the running backs, like insurance for Gurley, right? Like if you look at how many running backs are actually on their roster right Four, now, it's a lot yeah, more than it's a lot more than other rosters, right? You have Ito Smith, you have Quadriolis, and you have Brian Hill. Brian Hill being the clear cut backup, but they clearly know that hey, we need to have insurance for Todd Gurley, so. Um, I do or see a situation like where if Todd Gurley does go down, they like all they like all those guys. 
They do. They do. And I do think Brian Hill, you know, last year, I don't know why people were saying he's not good. I mean, we saw him be pretty effective. Uh, they used Edo Smith more so at the goal line, but Brian Hill, he was pretty effective when he was on the field and he passed the eye test for me. Um, but I do see a world where, you know, if Todd Gurley does happen to go down, un- unfortunately, knock on wood, um, this this team just won't run. You know, like they'll just pass the ball every single play. And I could see that, too. So there could or could not be value behind Todd Gurley here. All right, Johnny, I want to ask about Hayden Hurst. He started as a darling for people in uh, the tight end community for fantasy football. He ended the offseason as kind of one of the guys you maybe passed up for a guy like, I don't know, maybe say you had Noah Fant and Hayden Hurst, Johnny. Who would you start this week? Asking for a friend, maybe. (laughs) I don't know. That's a good one. Uh, I would probably go... I'd probably go Noah Fant over Hayden Hurst. And the reason why is because... I'm going uh, Hayden Hurst because of the over-under. But go ahead. That's fine. Uh, But I do think that... Two things. Uh, Tennessee was actually... You look at the one weakness in their defense, it's to the tight end position. That's the one weakness that they have. And and then looking at uh, Seattle here... Uh, listen, I know we, we saw what Austin Hooper did last year for Matt Ryan, but again, I'll repeat it. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. Austin Hooper wasn't a top five tight end year one. He wasn't a top five uh, tight end year two. He was a top five uh, tight end year three with Matt Ryan. So it's going to take time. Uh, this isn't the greatest matchup. Seattle actually has a good defense. Uh, and so there are a lot of people that... um. I would I would think that Hayden Hurst is probably the fourth best, maybe the fifth option in this in this offense for this game. John, Johnny, just one quick counterpoint there. Uh, you said it took three years for Austin Hooper to get acclimated, but also yeah. Dirk Cutter wasn't there for two years before that, right? He just arrived there last year, and we know how much he loves to use his tight ends. Uh, Hayden Hurst, I think, is going to be a safety blanket for Matt Ryan, third read, um, even above Todd Gurley, in, in my opinion. I do agree with you the point where you know it might take some time for chemistry to develop. But with a with a with an over under, what what is this game at? Um, forty nine, I believe. Yeah, forty nine. Yeah. So with that kind of over under, you know, I, and you I'd think like... and you think Seattle is like you honestly. So it's a forty nine point over under. So that means what like twenty eight twenty four is about the score. So you're saying three touchdowns I mean, take, for I, Atlanta. I would take the over here. I would take the over here. Number one. Um, so I, I just would, think I, think I just so. think it's gonna. I, I, I listen. If you drafted Hayden Hurst, you're probably going to start him because he was probably one of the twelve tight ends that you took off the board. But I think I think even Chris Herndon, Chris Herndon, will have a better game than Hayden Hurst. That's bold. I think I think we're gonna have to keep a tally of all these. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How oh, I will takes in week one. I think we're just hungry for some football. That makes sense. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of which, the Seattle Seahawks fan base and maybe fantasy football fan base is hungry to let Russ cook. Just been so consistent. No quarterback has thrown <laughs> has a three year streak of 30 or more touchdowns except for Russell Wilson. He throws the ball deep and into the end zone. We know that Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Fire him up. Chris Carson, you drafted him early. You got to start him here. Can anyone on the panel make a case from anyone outside of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Carlos Hyde, or I'm sorry, Chris Carson or Russell Wilson? Nope. All right. That's what I like to hear. We're going to move on to the New England and Miami matchup. And this one's intriguing, right? We've got Cam Newton coming to town. 
Cam Newton is the new quarterback replacing the GOAT, Tom Brady. And so I guess what I'll kind of open up here, Austin, is do you think it'll take a while for Cam Newton to make an impact uh, in this game or in the in fantasy football? Or are you comfortable starting him? Because he did <clears throat> see a low ADP this offseason. Look, I want to believe in Cam Newton and the Patriots so much. I have drafted Julian Edelman and Nikhil Harry uh, in the Listener League. I am really keeping my fingers crossed on this Kelvin Benjamin narrative where he got 1,000 yards from Cam Newton and so Nikhil Harry, another plus-size receiver who was the first wide receiver off the board in the 2018 NFL Draft. Yada, yada, yada. It's all going to pan out. 33-year-old, 34-year-old Julian Edelman still got his cuts. And this is not the Tom Brady Patriots. And Cam Newton is a very inaccurate quarterback whose MVP years were driven by his ability to run the football. It looks like all those hits that he took, Cam Newton is not a fan of taking a, taking a knee or sliding it down. He was like the last quarterback before the eras switched over to where, you know, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, they slide and fans applaud because they don't want their quarterbacks turning into another RG3 or you could say Cam Newton where they take too many hits, their bodies break down and their careers get shortened. Cam Newton, we'll see, but the latest report coming out of camp is that his inaccurate throwing continues. Um, he hasn't been able to hit his guys in camp. He is the number one quarterback for them, but the cast of characters you know, James White does really well in the role that he's got, but he's not a dude you're excited about. He's not a scary player. Sonny Michelle, a first-round selected running back who's averaged 3.7 yards per carry last season. Um, sexy Rex Burkhead, you know, all right, man, do your job, keep your job, like, good for you, bro, but it's not anything that's making me get excited if I got these guys on my squad, nor nervous if I'm playing against any of them. I'm going to need to see Cam Newton come out and be Superman again for me to get on board with this one. And hey, I hope that he does. I love this storyline. And I've been pushing it actually a lot all season, but I'm just, you, I don't you, know why I would say that they're going to be going off. Like, I don't, I don't know what metrics there are to really indicate that this is going to happen. All the variables. Yeah, yeah, they're playing Miami. He's going to <laughs> annihilate Miami. It's not yeah, even going to be I, like, this is the start of a week. This is the start of the week. Like, there's no maybe, other, this is, Miami it plays him tough though. Like, if we're just sticking on the narrative perspective, Miami plays uh, New England more tough than you think right off the bat. In Miami, like in, not New England. That's never happened in New England. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. But this is I a different kind of home situation. And right? this isn't, Tom, like you said, this isn't the Tom Brady New England Patriots. This is the Cam Newton New England Patriots. And they don't know who Cam Newton is because the last time they played him, Cam Newton was a top five uh, quarterback uh, on the week. And so sure. Cam Newton speaking is of top five quarterbacks, Ryan I'm Fitzpatrick gonna... was playing really well for the Miami Dolphins to end the year last year, and he's going to be starting off the season as their starting QB again. It's a divisional matchup. It's a COVID year. We don't have the fans in the stands the way we typically do. Home field advantages are not going to be what they once were, and it's an entirely different cast of characters in the in the Patriots locker room. So this is a real hold game for me. I'm not surprised to see him go off. And I would be really legitimately excited if what game time said is true and they come in and just smash up on the Miami Dolphins. Like I think that would be a really cool and fun storyline. I also think it'd be a fun storyline if Miami Dolphins smashed up on the Cam Newton, Bill Belichick Patriots too. We'll see about that. But let's calm um, down with that. Let's calm down with that Patriots game, <laughs> right? Probably not let's, happening, let's, but let's not there's we'll none see. of that around here. We'll see. I mean, Stephon <laughs> no, Gilmore still well, there. He's going to lock up Devontae Parker. But I'm just saying that this, to me, is a big wait-and-see game to see what the Cam Newton Patriots are all about.
Listen, I really I'll, am waiting, and I'm really waiting on that wide receiving core too, more than anything. I want to be in on Julian Edelman because he's always outdone his ADP, but I don't know that I've seen Cam Newton support a guy like Julian Edelman before. So it's not been a guy I've drafted a lot of, Sammy. What about the last year's first round pick, though, Nikhil Harry, or Nikhil Harry this year? Yeah, I think Nikhil Harry is in a is in a prime position to break out. Um, you know, we saw the Calvin Benjamin uh, love with Cam Newton. You know, the big-bodied receiver on the outside that can't separate. You know, he does have touchdown upside there. But uh, I think a lot of people, you know, all offseason, Travis, I, I've heard this narrative that Cam Newton's he's washed, he's injured. Listen, we haven't heard a single report come out saying that he's injured. You know, like, he's completely healthy. I'm sure we would have heard something, right? Like, oh, he still looks hobbled or, you know, there's something up. No, that's not true at all. Um, sure, there's inaccuracy, but that's always been the case with Cam Newton. But I do feel like that this offense, they have an, an entirely separate playbook for Cam Newton. And I think it's a lot of people are going to be surprised at how, how, how good this offense is going to look week one, even with the lack of receiving options that they do have, just because Cam Newton's that kind of quarterback. That's a fair point. All right, so we move on to the other side of the ball here. Uh, as Austin mentioned, Ryan Fitzpatrick leading this arsenal here for the passing attack in Miami. And so we've got to talk about Devontae Parker, who you're probably starting. You drafted him relatively in the middle of rounds. Uh, so you're probably loading him up here in a game that they're going to try and throw. But he'll probably be up against Stephon Gilmore. So are you feeling great about that? Are you tempering expectations, Austin? I'm tempering expectations big time. I love Devontae Parker. I drafted him in a league. I was sad about another league I couldn't draft him in. And I think Devontae Parker, rest of season, barring health, is in a really really nice position with that said he is going up against arguably the best cornerback in the nfl and mr gilmore and he's dealing with a tissue issue as well so that gives me tremendous pause on this if you can fill somebody else in for Devonte parker i would and hey if Devonte parker goes off even in this you're feeling so good about that pick that you made of dealing with an injury and going up against an elite corner and still putting down numbers um their other wide receiver there in Preston Williams had a really great start to his rookie year. And this is something that, you know, people have talked about how this affected the, uh, the production of Devonte Parker. Um, there was a, Miami was a, is a basket case in a lot of different ways, but the thing I'll just say about Preston Williams is he started off the season really well. He is still, he was a rookie last year. He's a second year player this year. He's pretty healthy, but there are rumors he's going to be on a snap count, which just suggests to me that he doesn't have a hundred percent of his pop yet back. And the difference between a mediocre receiver and a great receiver is just that little bit, which it sounds like he doesn't yet have. So you got a couple of banged up wide receivers um, that are playing for the Miami Dolphins going up against one of the best, if not the best pass defense in the New England Patriots. I'm just not stoked on anybody catching the passes here, except for Johnny's boy, Mike Kosecki, who is just a freak. Uh, 570 yards in five games last year. You can go ahead and times that by three, and you're cooking with some serious gas. Six foot six, 257 pounds, runs a 5.5440. That is real. That's wide receiver speed right there. And he's a big 4. boy. 4, he yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I that's that's my favorite passing weapon um, on the Miami Dolphins side this week. So then, Johnny, Johnny do I'll you ask you your? Oh, go for it, Sammy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask Johnny. I mean, does do you make anything of them uh, listing Mike Gesicki as a second tight end behind Durham Smith in the first and official depth depth chart? Yeah, Is that uh, where you 
No, it doesn't worry me because uh, the guy that they the initial uh, tight end is more of a he's a blocking tight end, and Jacecki is going to run the vast majority of his routes in the slot, and so he could almost be more technically like a slot receiver. Uh, but he will he's a tight end, so it's kind of nice when you have him on your team. That's why I was really ha- uh, high on him because of how much they're going to use him in this offense. Uh, Mike just so yeah, go ahead. Let me follow that up. Let me follow that up with one other question. Uh, Chan Gailey, I mean, his offenses, uh, they pass to the tight end. Uh, let me just pull this up. 53.9 targets on the year uh, on average. Uh, and that's dating back to 1989 when he was OC of Denver. Um, I get it. The game's changed, but there's a pretty large sample size from 2000 and onwards where, I mean, the most targets any tight end has seen in, you know, in his offense or the tight end group has been 143 and 166. And that's, the two highest. Um, the next highest after that is like 68. And who, and who were those fashion. tight ends? Um, so that's in KC 2008 and then mm-hmm. 2011 in Buffalo. When yeah, head coach neither, there. neither one of the, right, the tight ends. What were the, who were the tight ends during well, that? I, and I would they just, they I aren't, they aren't the talent of Mike Jacecki. They, I, I get that. I agree. I, that. I agree. I agree with Johnny on this. And I also agree that I think we're reading too much into he's not a typical tight end. Like they have had both of their slot receivers opt out for COVID this year. And yep. Mike Gesicki now with Devontae Parker's hamstring. And I think Preston Williams even popped up on the injury report as well. Uh, like we're now looking at Mike Gesicki being maybe the only option for them. And they will have to funnel him targets, especially in a game they figured to be down in. One That's last question also- here. I'm sorry. Does this also yeah, kind of raise Matt Breida in your eyes? Because Matt Breida coming out of the backfield. That's what I was going to ask next. Do you have faith in starting either of these backs? It was one of the cheapest backfields to get shares of this year. But do you feel comfortable this week uh, firing up either of these guys? Uh, Maybe Breida. Put your money where your mouth is, Summy. Just... No, not against New England. All right, not against New England. I get it. They've had a couple of COVID opt-outs, but this defense I still expect it to be top-notch. Um, you know, Belichick's going to find a way to to dominate Miami. Uh, I don't think this week is a good matchup for any anyone on, on that side of the ball. All right. I so wanted to highlight just one thing with the Matt Breda, Jordan Howard narrative we keep hearing. It's going to be Jordan Howard smashing the early downs. Matt Breda is this pass catching back. Jordan Howard last year had 29 receptions. Matt Breda last year had 19 receptions. So Jordan Howard actually had more pass catching coming out than Breda did. Breda's never broken 30 catches in a season. And funny enough, on the ground side of it, Breda last year on 123 rushing attempts averaged 5.1 yards per carry. And exactly. Jordan Howard, who, yes, had over 200, was 4.4. There's, I'm not going to beat a drum big time on this, but there's actually been some talk of Patrick Laird being the actual pass catcher out of the backfield. Oh God! Uh, you know, for them. So I'm oh, just saying like, that's that's, that's that sounds hideous. Opinion. I know it's not somebody you'll care about for fantasy, but it could take away yeah. from Matt Breda and the take everybody wants to have. Sounds like the Moving Dolphins are about to be the Dolphins again. Yeah, yeah. Except for Mike Kosicki, let's hope. Uh, after Dante Parker, uh, for sure. Sunday afternoon game. Uh, Sammy, we're going to talk here about another decent, uh, you know, there's a decent shot at a shootout in this game. I know it's a lower over under, but we've actually got a couple teams that are, you know, could get after it here. We've got the Chargers and the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, this is in LA, new SoFi Stadium. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep doing that. It's in Cincinnati, so not the new stadium. Uh, Cincinnati, uh, I'm sorry, the Chargers are three point favorites here. Talk to me about. 
big dick Joe Burrow and how you feel he's going to do. Uh, you know, do you, do you have any faith starting him this week? I know you like him on the season, but there's there can't be a situation you're starting him this week, is it? No, I mean, listen, if you're starting Joe Burrow, number one, congratulations. You're probably the smartest drafter in your league because you drafted a quarterback late, right? Congratulations. Pat yourself on the back for that. But no, don't start Joe Burrow this week. Let's see. Let's see what he does. Um, I do think he has a real shot to be a QB one on the season. Um, I think this, like you mentioned, Travi, I think this this game does have shootout potential. Uh, it's one of the highest paced offenses in neutral game script situations in Cincinnati, uh, going up against the one of the lowest projected uh, paced offenses in the Chargers with Tyrod Taylor at the helm. Um, I do like Joe Burrow being able to control the clock here. Um, you know, it's it, it's a good spot for him, but I'm just not comfortable starting him uh, the first week. Oh no, but, uh, Travis! I think Travis. Oh, did Travis freeze? All right. Oh. So I mean. Outside of Joe Burrow, I mean, listen, we have... Yeah. Okay, we're good. So I was just going to point out the offensive line, right? Yeah. Like, it's improved. You have Jonah Williams coming back in here. Uh, they got Xavier Suofilo uh, at guard, who's kind of a wild card at this point in his career. You know, he had a up and down last couple of years. Um, but they're going up against, you know, a newly acquired Linval Joseph. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, number one, how this offensive line performs in Cincinnati. Uh, not just with pass blocking, but also creating lanes for Joe Mixon. And then on top of that, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm really, really curious to see how Joe Burrow responds to pressure coming in from Linval Joseph, and and if he can handle that and how he performs. You know, is he, is he accurate? Is he, uh, is he making bad decisions? Uh, yeah. Is he dropped? You know, is he rolling out of the pocket or, or what's going on there? So that's gonna be really fun to watch. Yeah, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit, and maybe, Austin, you can chime in here, because similar to the wide receiving core that we just talked about on the Patriots, I'm a little wait and see because I want to see what Burrow does here. I was I like Boyd, and he was priced perfectly this year, just being slept on a lot, I think, for the production that he can have this year. But A.J. Green was also right around that same area and actually seems to be super healthy. Uh, I wouldn't say super healthy, but fully healthy here. Is this a wait and see wide receiving core as well? Yeah, calling AJ Green super healthy is like yeah, calling any menu item at McDonald's super healthy. Like, yeah, the salad is better. Salad. <laughs> it's better than the double quarter pounder, sure, but it's still pushing a thousand calories with that fat ass dressing they got on top. So that to me is AJ Green here. With that said, the man's talent is elite. And if he's healthy and he's in the lineup for the Bengals, I believe he needs to be in your lineup as well because of the physical ability. Derwin James out for the year. Yes, it's it's going to be a good situation, I believe. And even if it's not, you don't even feel bad about it. It's one of those things where like, oh, you you put AJ Green out there. He was healthy and he had a dutter. Like it just happens in the NFL. Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, it's going to happen. But he, he AJ is Green, a good wide receiver. Like when he's on the field, he's an excellent wide receiver. Yeah, yeah well, he's like top five in the world he's obviously more talented than the other guys we've talked about you know will fuller deshaun jackson making sure they're in your lineup this week because you actually have them healthy this week to start them he could yeah. probably be he probably is the best wide receiver of those guys we've talked about so why wouldn't aj green be the guy that you start uh because you've got him healthy this week right yeah yeah so on the other side of the ball we have the chargers well uh, one thing i just Tyrell wanted to Taylor. kind of one oh, thing yeah, i just kind of wanted right. to talk about with tyler boyd here um so like last year, like if you own Tyler Boyd, right, like you, you were kind of upset because he was one of the most inconsistent wide receivers uh, to own in fantasy. Um, and, you know, I think A.J. Green being back, 
you know, a lot of people might consider that to be a detriment to Tyler Boyd because, you know, AJ Green's going to be taking up targets and whatnot. Listen, AJ Green being healthy means you're going to get a more consistent Tyler Boyd. All right. When AJ Green was healthy in 2018 from weeks one to eight, as well as week 13, he played uh, Boyd in those games averaged 8.2 targets per game, 14.4 fantasy points. Okay. With AJ Green on the field. All the other games since 2018 and even 2019, all of 2019, without A.J. Green, Boyd averaged 8.7 targets, so about half a target more, so not too much of a difference. Um, but he only averaged 11.2 fantasy points per game compared to 14.4 with A.J. Green. So that's a, that's a pretty big disparity there, right? Um, I, do, I do understand the touchdown upside is capped, you know, with the red zone and end zone targets not being there. But I think, you know... Tyler Boyd's a really, he's going to be as consistent wide receiver for you as long as Adrian Green is healthy. And even if he's not, listen, 11, 12 fantasy points a game, I'll take that. So on the other side of the ball, we've got the Chargers. We've got Tyrod Taylor, who's been sneaking around as maybe a stream worthy candidate if you're in deeper leagues or a, you know, uh, a guy you could start the year off. You know, he definitely runs the ball, so he's got a safe floor. Um, do you see some upside in this game, Summy, where you could play Tyrod Taylor this week? Because outside of Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Hunter Henry, like I think he's the only other option we'd we'd be willing to talk about as far as starting here. Yeah, I mean, listen, Tyrod Taylor. Again, if you're if you're in the position where you're having to start Tyrod Taylor, congratulations, you're probably one of the smartest drafters in your league. You know, once again, um, but. I wouldn't mind starting him up. You know, Cincinnati secondary is pretty depleted. Trey Wayne's uh, pectoral surgery. He's on IR. Uh, you know, Cincinnati, again, offers that high-paced offense. And I think the Chargers are going to be playing catch-up here. And the weapons aren't too bad in Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen, and Hunter Henry. So I like Tyrod Taylor here this week. So moving right along to our next matchup, we have the San Francisco 49ers versus Johnny's Arizona Cardinals in San Fran Bay Area here. And Johnny, why don't you walk us through? I know you've been itching. You put your jersey on. You're ready to talk about this Arizona Cardinal offense that watched DeAndre Hopkins get traded to them for pennies on the dollar. How are you feeling? How geeked are you right now for this matchup? Oh, I'm really excited for this matchup. Uh, I, it'll be interesting to see if Arizona can get revenge on their two losses last uh, last year. They actually played the 49ers uh, very close in both matchups. So it should be a great matchup. Uh, but if you're looking at who to start and who to sit from Arizona, um, you know, you're going to start Kyler Murray. He's got that high upside for sure. Even though uh, the San Francisco 49ers have a good defense, uh, Kyler Murray, because of his legs, uh, still poses a huge threat. And um, in the two games that they played last year, uh, Kyler Murray averaged 24 fantasy points per game. And once again, that was without a DeAndre Hopkins uh, added to their lineup. Uh, you know, uh, starting Kenyon Drake in this one, uh, he ha he practiced in full today. He is out of the walking boot. Um, so you're firing up Kenyon Drake. DeAndre Hopkins, you're firing him up. Uh, uh, but I would consider start uh, sitting uh, Christian Kirk this week. Uh, listen, we're a big fan of the show uh, on this show of Christian Kirk. We think he's going to have a good year. Um, but this weekend he'll be uh, facing Richard Sherman. And in the two matchups against Richard Sherman last year, uh, uh, Christian Kirk was the wide receiver 75 on the week and wide receiver 35 on the week. Um, so I expect him to be uh, mostly locked up for the most of the day. So I would sit Christian Kirk if possible. 
I do think, I mean, oh, if you're, it, sorry. I'm sorry, I just want to say, I mean, if you're in a position to sit Christian Kirk, great for you, you know, you have depth. Uh, but I do think, you know, you might be in a position where you're going to have to start Christian Kirk if you do have him. Um, just a ray of hope here, you know, I, yeah. we could see some variance with his defense with San Francisco. Uh, they played at an elite level last year. Um, Richard Sherman was phenomenal, and he's getting old. You know, yeah. we could see him drop off a cliff, and you just never yeah. know. I hope I mean, he Emmanuel does. Mo- <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, for, for the Arizona Cardinals, yeah. hopefully, hopefully he does, you know? Yeah. But Emmanuel Mosley was also not too bad last year, so uh, absolutely temper expectations. But don't put all your chips on this San Francisco defense being right. just as good as they were last year. Uh, agree, so 100%. similar to the Cleveland Browns take, I think the reverse could be said of the Niners. They've got wide receiving uh, right, injuries in the wide receiving core, right? They've got injuries on defense. They've also got DeForest Buckner leaving. Like, could we see the Niners be a favorite in a lot of games where they actually don't end up winning these games to start the year because they've taken so many hits and they're not able to it's kind of adjust? Super, it's like that Super Bowl hangover uh, a lot of teams yeah, go through. Uh, and I think that, yeah, I definitely think that we could see a situation like that for the 49ers. Yeah, so we talk a little bit about Jimmy Garoppolo because this was, you know, his start of the season was one that a lot of analysts like to target this year um, as a start. So do you, are you feeling comfortable with Jimmy Garoppolo, Johnny, and this passing attack going into this offense? Uh, it's it's really funny because last year you look at what Jimmy G did against Arizona and you would think, well, yeah, I definitely you should definitely start him because he had two monster games through for 741 yards and eight touchdowns in the combined two weeks. But I'll tell you, uh, this Arizona Cardinals defense is way different than it was back then. Um, this Arizona Cardinals defense under Vance Joseph really started to click uh, last year. And the main reason why they started to click was if you actually like get underneath the hood and you look, they were playing, um, you know, they had Suggs and they also had Chandler Jones. Well, Chandler Jones, we all know, is a phenomenal pass rusher. But the problem was, was because Suggs was also on the field. They couldn't have both Suggs and Chandler Jones uh, rush in the system because one of those linebackers has to drop back in coverage. Well, you're not going to put out, you know, a 70-year-old Suggs in pass coverage. You had to use the much more athletic Chandler Jones. Well, after Suggs left this offense or this defense, sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah, they yeah they cut him. Why? Because it was it was such a detriment. They couldn't play. Vance Joseph was being forced to play players out of position. Well, once they cut Suggs, you started to see the Arizona Cardinals defense get much better because Chandler Jones went back to his natural position, and you also had other players going back to the natural position. But you also saw Arizona. The key piece here is that you saw Arizona in the offseason get Isaiah Simmons, who was considered one of the best defense of uh, uh, weapons in college football last year and he will lock down the tight end position so no more of this Arizona will be giving up the most uh, to the tight end position no no more of that Um, I I agree and I, I agree. I mean, uh, Simmons could mess up this week, and I think that you know they'll move around uh, George Kittle quite a lot. Uh, so George Kittle's going to be safe for sure. Um, but don't be. I would not. I would not start Jimmy G. All that long narrative and monologue, just to say I would not start Jimmy G. Because I think this Cardinals defense is going to surprise people. 
Austin, I want to talk to you about the running backs for the San Francisco 49ers because we've talked about Raheem Mostert a lot and how his ADP started off in the offseason a little too high. It settled down a bit there. Tevin Coleman became a value consistently in this offseason. You could pick him up there. Jarek McKinnon was a sneaky play and a lot of, uh, you know, picking him up because he actually is fully healthy this year and could be a pass catcher in a, in a big way for them in a team that's lacking pass catchers. So are you comfortable with any of these backs or it's, is, is it another wait and see week on, on the backfield here? This is definitely a wait and see. You're probably not able to hold Mostert back if you drafted him at his ADP. With that said, I don't, see a big separating quality from any one of these three halfbacks and Jarek McKinnon, Raheem Mostert, or Tevin Coleman. And I don't think that Kyle Shanahan really wants to make one guy more than another guy. I think all three of these, I think it's like a, like a 40, 31, 29 kind of breakdown. And that's going to shift a lot just based on what the game flow is like, how that running back has been doing. So for me, Jarek McKinnon or who Jarek McKinnon was the lowest ADP, and I think that that was a wise grab for anybody who picked him up because I think you might have a near equal shot of getting the majority of the carries, even though you're the third string running back. Again, though, we'll wait and see. If you have Raheem Mostert, you're probably starting him, and it's probably not an awful decision. But I would really like to get some clarity on this backfield before I threw any one of those halfbacks out with confidence. Somebody recently in a DM, you put your hat in the ring on Jarek McKinnon. Can you talk a little bit about your thought process on Jarek McKinnon? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, they paid this guy to be the guy. Um, unfortunately, you know, the last two years, just as the Niners always do, they deal with injuries. And Jarek McKinnon, unfortunately, you know, he dealt with injuries. Towards ACL, had flare-ups uh, last year in camp. Um, I think that we're, we're, we're probably going to see a world where Tevin Coleman gets phased out if he continues to perform uh, at, at such a lackluster pace as he was last year. I think Jarek McKinnon can easily usurp Tevin Coleman. And I think Raheem Mostert also has the, uh, the the chance to be usurped at the goal line, especially by Jarek McKinnon, who profiles as a better goal line back. And that's kind of why Shanahan brought them, brought him in. So I think Jarek McKinnon is a really sneaky, like just kind of sit, sit on him and hold him kind of player. It won't happen right away. Give it a couple of weeks. You know, Raheem Mostert didn't, didn't pop until like week seven, eight. So I think uh, Jarek McKinnon does have some potential upside here. All right, uh, moving on to another afternoon game. And man, what a doozy this one is. We've got Tampa Bay visiting New Orleans for Tom Brady's first game as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Try not to cry, Sammy. Tom Brady is not playing for your beloved Patriots anymore. <laughs> I'm a Bucs fan this is, year. I'm a Bucs <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like every other Patriots fan I know. Um, but now we're sitting here looking at a Tampa Bay squad that is maybe the no, I'm not even going to say maybe the most talented pass catchers that Tom Brady has ever played with as far as. Well, don't speak too soon. Catchers. Don't speak too soon. Yeah. So we do have a situation in that wide receiving core with Mike Evans, who's got a hand, same hamstring that ended his season last year. And I was so excited to talk about how good Mike Evans is. He's a hall of fame. He's on track for a hall of fame career. He's got six years, six years over 1,000 yards, 7,260 career yards. And I was like, are we going to see the Moss version of Brady with Mike Evans this year? But I'm really concerned, guys, that Mike Evans even plays in this game, given that he did have the hamstring cause him his 2019 season. 
I think the bigger thing to talk about here is obviously Tom Brady was drafted in your leagues as a starting quarterback, so you're probably rolling him out here, especially in this over-under. But then you've got a situation in the backfield, Johnny. Um, Austin, we're looking at Leonard Fournette being picked up here in the last week. I know you guys are have been talking about Leonard Fournette a lot this offseason, and now we've got Ronald Jones trying to hang on to his job because the former first-round pick is right behind him. Are we starting Leonard Fournette this week? I think that's the question. Sorry, Austin, go for it. That's a Johnny question to me. I, 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 It would definitely be a wait-and-see kind of take on this one. I'm here, curious to hear what Johnny's approach on it is, but I just wanted to make a comment about Bruce Arians' rhetoric and the way he's managing this team, which I think is exactly the way a leader or in this case, a head football coach, should be leading the people that they lead. And what I mean by that is you're dealing with human beings and you're dealing with men who have ranges of outcomes. And even though these men are all professionals, it is foolish to think that the right type of environment or the wrong type of environment is not going to have an effect on the performance you put on the field. And I see Bruce Arians as giving a subtle challenge to Ronald Jones um, also acknowledging the work that he's put in in this offseason when he tells Ronald Jones and the entire football community that it is Ronald Jones's backfield. It's his to keep. Um, we expect him to be the starter. Keep doing what you're doing, young blood, and it's going to be all yours. Knowing full well that Leonard Fournette is a more talented halfback, knowing that Leonard Fournette is probably going to come in and impress and eventually take over that role. But why would you say that coming at this point in the game? Tell Ronald Jones it's his. Acknowledge the work that he's put in. Challenge him to keep elevating, keep putting in more, keep becoming even better. Take that mob of mentality seriously and see what you can do with it. Because the, the mind game, this is the best muscle that any one of these players have. And if Ronald Jones can really elevate and just stay focused, he might be able to hold on to it a little bit longer. Leonard Fournette should take this job. I don't know if he's going to do it in week one. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he'll get workhorse uh, numbers week one. I don't. Uh, but I do see him getting goal line work. I do see him getting, you know, 10 to 12 touches in this game. So if you feel confident in that, and I do because, uh, you know, I have been in multi-situations with uh, New England's backfield where it was sketchy and you didn't know what to do with it. And you take the goal line back and you throw them in your lineup. And it's, it's a little scary for sure. But there are so many, I mean, it's funny we're going through this, and and a lot of this is COVID related. It's not because of any fault of anyone on this panel, but a lot of these situations are let's wait and see. And you know, if I'm going to wait and see on a running back, uh, or or sorry, not want to wait and see on a running back, it's going to be one that's lining up behind Tom Brady. Uh, and there, I, I think that they're really going to try to run the ball quite, uh, quite a bit, especially if Mike Evans is out of this game. Uh, I do think that they'll run a little bit more. So I think that uh, Leonard Fournette is is someone that you'll throw in your lineup as as but temper your expectations majorly. But there is the high upside of like two touchdowns and you know forty yards. So I think that's a great take. I thought I, I love both of your guys' takes there. I want to flip it to the tight ends because obviously it's Goo Goo Gaga over Rob Gronkowski get signing to this team. But Sammy, I'm kind of under the impression that Gronk will be eased into this offense, especially with how O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait 
are as tight ends that that work together. Can we look at a situation where Gronk is maybe not a startable tight end here? I know it's a high over under, and I'm going to probably eat my words because he'll probably score a touchdown in this game. But I've been just fading Gronk because I just don't know what his role is going to be. I agree. Um, you know, as much as I love Gronk, as much as you know he's a staple of the New England uh, uh, legacy, uh, I do think that you do need to fade Gronk. I mean, there's just too many weapons here. Um, you know, with news of Mike Mike Evans dealing with that hamstring injury, I do think you know he could see some spiked involvement in the first couple of opening weeks. But OJ Howard is, you know, he's a pretty sneaky pick towards the latter end of your draft, and. I don't know. I just don't know how this pie is going to be split up. It's going to be, it's really difficult to kind of tell at this point, but no, I don't think uh, I'm going to be touching Gronk this week. Let me, let me ask you this real quick uh, to all the whole panel. What do you, um, if Mike Evans doesn't go Scotty Miller, uh, do you think he takes that number two role or do you, where do you think it goes? Yeah. I mean, that's the guy right behind him. You know, that's the, that's going to be the guy behind, behind Evans on the depth chart. I wouldn't start him at all. You know, Godwin would be the only person, that the only player in this offense. Right. Yeah. That I'd be willing to start, especially cause you know, you're, you're playing against new Orleans. They're not, they're not a, a cushy match. Right. They're pretty no, tough. They're, they have a good defense. Even their front yeah. seven is good. Their front seven is really their centerpiece, right? Like the yeah. pass rush, the run block, the, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a monster line. Um, but Chris Godwin, you know, in the slot, New Orleans, we do know that they give up points in the slot. And I love Chris Godwin this week. I'm going to love to see that connection between him and Brady. Yeah. yeah. Some news out of camp was actually saying that uh, O.J. Howard was having the best camp. I mean, all the talk about everybody else, but O.J. Howard was yep. getting a lot of love from beat writers. So sneak could be a sneaky start. I'm not going to bang it too hard because I just was so pro O.J. Howard last year that I took a bath on that take. Carry on, Johnson. But one of my favorite games on the docket and the second highest over under is the L.A. Rams versus the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday night football. Austin, we've got Dallas going to SoFi Stadium. This is actually in L.A. Unlike what I tried to say earlier with the Chargers, it'll be a Rams home game. And so talk to me a little bit about how you see this Rams offense shaking out before we get into the meat and potatoes of the offenses in Dallas. Sure. So in the Los Angeles Rams locker room, we've got some familiar players. We've got a couple of new players that are going to be player that are going to be impacting this offense here. Um, the big question marks are coming at the halfback position. We know that Daryl Henderson has been dealing with a lower half issue uh, leading up to it, but he is questionable. He might get a, a role in this week one game, which is kind of surprising. Um, Malcolm Brown is also the leader of the depth chart after these unofficial or first round of depth charts came out. Um, but again, and this is a surprising one, given that Cam Akers is the fantasy darling and the one that everyone expects to be carrying the majority of this load. I still think that you're going to see Cam Akers in a strong game. Malcolm Brown, 3.7 yards per carry last year. I like the play style of Cam Akers, how he comes in and has some breakaway ability and a lot of good things from a fantasy perspective. I'd be surprised to see them lean away, but I think Sean McVay's words are still true and that he's going to ride the hot hand. So they're going to get opportunities. Whoever is the better running back in this game is going to get the more the majority of the touches. In the pass-catching situation, Robert Woods is my favorite wide receiver for the Rams this year. Mr. beats his ADP every single season, and last year had some impressive numbers with 1,200 yards. 
um, and 1,100 yards the year before that with 86 receptions and 90, 90 receptions, respectfully. Cooper Cup, you're getting a lot of attention. We love to talk about Cooper Cup. Uh, he's got an awesome name. And he has produced really well last year. Uh, which side note, his dad named him Cooper because it would sound really great over a loudspeaker. Cooper Cup. And his dad was not incorrect. So Cooper Cup has got uh, 1,161 yards last season on the 10 games that he started. But before that, he's heading into his fourth year now. In his rookie year, he had 869 yards and 566 yards. So it's not like we're looking at a Mike Evans type of guy here who was 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards, 1,000 yards. He is a bit of a situational player. He's got a good relationship with Jared Goff, but when they went into 12-man personnel last year, his production dipped as Tyler Higby soared. And it's looking like we're going to see more of that. I'm sure uh, Summy and Johnny have some great points on Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds and that wide receiver battle that's going on. I'll leave that one to them. But Tyler Higby's been a popular pick, but we got to remember that Gerald Everett is back, and when there's multiple tight ends for the Rams active – it's going to cut into Tyler Higby's ceiling. A lot of positive reports coming out of Tyler Higby's role with the Rams, but there is another tight end there um, and a lot of question marks and just not a lot of consistency yet from this Rams team. And uh, But Robert Woods, I'm really liking that. And if you had to start a halfback, I would still go with Cam Akers, even if Malcolm Brown is the leader. So I want to talk a little bit, and I'll probably kick this to Summy first, but this is one of those wait-and-see offenses, and I'm so intrigued to see what the Rams do because on Johnny's side, you've said, you know, and you very astutely, they ran a lot of 12 personnel. It took Cooper Cup off the field. We should be fading more of Cooper Cup because they're probably going to do that. But, Summy, do you see there a, a world where they actually don't run more 12 personnel? Because Evan Silva was actually quoted uh, recently saying he actually doesn't think they'll run more 12 like they did last year. So I want to know kind of where you land on that. Do you think they continue to do 12 personnel like they did at the back half of last year or do they actually open it up a little bit and get back to the 11 that Sean used to run yeah I think uh, I think if you look at it right the 12 personnel utilization really spiked when Brandon Cooks got injured um, and I, it was really that lack of that field stretcher there so that's why going back to Austin's point about Van Jefferson and, and Josh Reynolds uh, this is probably going to be one of the most exciting battles to watch I, I'm rooting for Van Jefferson uh, I love them coming out um, and I think he will win that job I think he's you know eons better than Josh Reynolds who's just a guy um, but I feel like, you know, if Van Jefferson breaks out, starts breaking out early in the year, Evan Silva probably hit it right on the head. We're going to see 11 personnel continued usage, just different variations. You know, we've seen the, the creativeness that Sean McVay has using 11 personnel, but again, the success that they saw in 12 personnel, I don't see why they would go away from it, right? Like they had so much success, a better EPA, a better YPA, uh, just a better all overall improved offense. It's easier on their line too, right? Yeah. They bring in more tight ends. And, and I exactly. think, Johnny, that's been a big point for you is this line is not something that they can rely on consistently enough to run the 11 personnel. So I kind of would side a little more with Johnny. I, I have fear about that line. So in this game, though, I think we hit kind of who you're going to start. On the other side, Austin, we've got to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. They bring in Mike McCarthy. They are moving this offense over, which it's it's just continuously ran more and more plays. It has got to be fantasy football Twitter and the fantasy football world's favorite offense this year. How excited are you for this particular matchup? I've got... I literally just got goosebumps when you queued me up for that take because of how exciting it is top to bottom. 
I even love the fact that they got this baller third string rookie wide receiver in CeeDee Lamb who's going to be a value coming in there. It's like perfect to me. You got Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup who are so similar statistically speaking. I mean, last year alone, we're talking 119 targets, 112 targets, 1,189 yards, 1,107 yards. It's like those... Michael Gallup was the latter there with 112 targets, 1,107 yards. It's like he was seven targets down and 72 yards less. So they're like nearly identical over in this productive uh, evaluation. And then CeeDee Lamb coming in, who arguably is the most pro-ready wide receiver in this rookie class, which is a studded rookie wide receiver class coming there. So I think it's like the perfect role. You're not demanding as much out of CeeDee Lamb as you are Ruggs or Edwards over there in Las Vegas or Jerry Judy over there in Denver. It's CeeDee Lamb who's right there, if not better, with those guys, but he's the third-string guy going up against third-string cornerbacks. And then you got the run game. and Oh, my goodness. That line is phenomenal. And Ezekiel Elliott is just time and time again right there at the top in terms of ceiling, breakaway, all that good stuff for that real pop factor. But then the floor of Ezekiel Elliott might be greater than any other running back in the NFL. And from the Dallas Cowboys perspective, they got Tony Pollard filling in right behind him. No slouch at all. Really productive, exciting running back who's a clear backup to Ezekiel Elliott, but not so much just a backup that you can't get him in on every game action. You're not just putting Pollard in to spell Ezekiel Elliott, but it's amazing that you can. And then we get to the man behind center. Dak Prescott threw for almost 5,000 yards last year, 4,900 and change with some legs. He's not a burner. He's not going to take it even like a Josh Allen will, but he is capable of running past the line of scrimmage at any point in time, um, which is just going to move the chains, keep this team active, making every single person on this roster a valuable fantasy asset, including Greg the Leg Zerline. I think they're going to be able to score a ton of points from the running back, wide receiver, uh, kicker position all season long. This week's no exception. I just really like quickly, kinda, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Travis. I was just going to ask real quickly, uh, Johnny, are you comfortable starting CD Lamb without seeing him get any kind of game speed action this week? It is a high over under, so you could be tempted to kind of throw him in there in the flex. Uh, I'm only, I'm only wanting to throw him in there if I know that uh, Cooper isn't going. Uh, I, if he, if I know that Cooper's not going, then I'm probably not throwing him in there because of where you most likely drafted him, uh, I have better options. Uh, so I, I would not. All right, so we're moving on to the oh, somebody, last one. Somebody wanted thing. to say yeah, something. Just oh, one sorry, quick thing somebody. I just wanted to bring up, just because I don't think a lot of people are talking about this, uh, and I think it's a point that's worth bringing up and bringing to people's attention. So we're all kind of expecting this Dallas offense, you know, continuity. Uh, they, they kept the same offensive coordinator, all that stuff. They we're, we're expecting them to be just as explosive as they were last year. Um, yeah, sure. I, I do see a path where that can happen. But I think what's really concerning is the injury to Lyle Collins here to start off the year. Uh, this offensive line, who we've thought to be, you know, a couple of years back to be the best offensive line in the NFL, they're running pretty thin right now as far as depth goes. You know, they have Cam Irving right now is going to take over for Lyle Collins. And Cam Irving's not good. And if you if you guys remember, like, you know, a couple of years ago when Zeke got suspended, there was this whole argument about Dak sucks and it's because Zeke's not there. No, that's not true. Dak sucked because Tyron Smith wasn't there. And I think, you know, we saw the splits kind of showed that. So I think if this offensive line takes a hit, this offense might take a hit as well. So 
I'd be curious to see how it performs without Lyle Collins, but it's just something I'm watching. I'm not really buying into my own narrative here, but it's a real thing that's happened before, and we could see it happen again. Just something to watch out for. Perspective is so important in fantasy football so that you don't fall in love with one take because if there needs to be a situation where you need to pull the ripcord on a player, you've got to be able to do so. And if you were hammering one narrative the entire time, you're not going to be able to do that. So really appreciate that take, Sammy, because Austin, Johnny, and I, are even you, I think in some instances, are drooling at that Dallas offense and what it could do. But uh, there's 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 some paths to you know unsuccessfulness there if that's a word yep. unsuccessfulness sure <laughs> uh, two Monday night games the first of those games the opener for the Monday night games is New York Giants versus the Pittsburgh Steelers Steelers come to New York to play Danny Dimes and the Giants right in your backyard Sammy so talk to me a little bit about this Giants squad because Danny Dimes flashed some some weird stuff but also some brilliance at a lot of time. Definitely some weird stuff. Um, I absolutely love this game. I think it's going to be a bloodbath. I think it's. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see Big Ben come out and absolutely sling it. I think we're gonna see Daniel Jones crumble under pressure from Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt. Oh, I think wow. we're gonna see Saquon Barkley get bottled up. I think we're gonna see Sterling Shepard get bottled up. I think Evan Ingram's gonna have a decent game, but I. I Listen, Pittsburgh, I'm extremely high on them. I love this roster. It might be one of the best rosters next to the Saints, uh, in my opinion. I'm extremely high on Minka Fitzpatrick. I love the continuity that they have on the offensive line. Big Ben, who threw for almost 5,000 yards, is coming back after Tommy John surgery. No reports of him being hindered or held up. Uh, I love this offense. I want a piece of it wherever I can get you know what pisses me off is uh, I have been banging the drum so hard for James Conner, and I told you guys I'm in 11 leagues. I did not draft James Conner in a single. No, are no. you kidding? And that was one of my oh biggest my. takes. Wow, my dude, that's man. not even – I can't even believe you admitted that I, right now. I, that's I, a I shame. I was just thinking about it right shame. now because I was getting so jacked from Summy's take on Pittsburgh. I'm like, yeah, James Conner going to vindicate <laughs> Big Travi. And I'm like, I don't have any I, shares. I will say I have Deontay Johnson, and I have Deontay Johnson shares in quite a few. I do have Deontay Johnson and Big shares in a couple leagues. So let's just roll through here. You you believe starting Big Ben, James Conner, Juju, Deontay. What about Eric Ebron? Can anybody Fire make a up. case for rolling? Fire them um, all light up. Them, says, light Fire them all, all up. up. Yeah, that defense is bad. The Giants defense is bad. Yeah. Listen, so just to kind of just to get, I just wanted to kind of get into like the nitty gritty, right? With like Daniel, like to kind of back up my take here because I think some of the listeners might be like, all right, this guy's kind of crazy. You know, he's he needs to temper his expectations. Listen, Daniel Jones, you know, he has a number one, he has a brutal opening schedule. Next week he's going to the Chicago, then he sees San Francisco, then he's going to the Rams, then he's Is there an echo? Sorry about that. Then, uh, I mean, he's going to Dallas after that, right? So, like, brutal, just absolutely brutal. And if you look at what he did under pressure, right, he was first in terms of pressure dropback percentage, so the number of dropbacks where he did get pressured. And we all know, based on the valuable work that PFF does, pressures and and quarterback hits and sacks, those are more of a quarterback stat, right? Like Patrick Mahomes, you you look, he doesn't take sacks. Why? That's a reason. Um, But Daniel Jones was also tied for seventh in sacks. He got sacked 40 times last year. And again, this this defense, it brings a lot of pressure, right? But on the flip side, Travi, I mean, I want to flip this back to you. It's what do you think about the whole narrative about like, hey, Drew Brees and Tom Brady, they're 41, 42 years old, you know, but they're ageless wonders. 
But then Big Ben, he's 38 and he's old. He's he kicked a little the a little different in Ben's situation only because Ben has been a guy who's consistently missed games because of his play style. He yep. likes the escapability. He gets hit a little bit more than those two guys. But I will tell you right now, and I've been on record um, all offseason saying that I think the hate on Big Ben and this offense has gone a little too far because of the Tommy John surgery. We're all a little bit scared of this. But there has been so many, you know, including Dr. Chow, come out and say, like, you know what happens to MLB pitchers sometimes when they get Tommy John? Like, they have stronger they arms. Better. Like, they get, they get better. better. Um, and we had a this situation this offseason where Big Ben was quoted saying, look, I had a regimen to come out here and throw and ease myself into it. I had to throw that regimen away because my arm is so strong right now. I feel great. That is news to your or like uh, that is, you know, music to your ears. If you're a Big Ben believer and truther and, you know, you're a GM who has him this year, because especially right out the gate two years ago, Big Ben was the QB, two in all of fantasy. And that's because they got rid of Todd Haley. They moved to Randy Fickner, who is still the offensive coordinator, who was Big Ben's all-time, like, um, was his QB coach for a long time, and basically said, Ben, you run the offense. I see no reason why that doesn't continue to be the case, especially in this opening matchup. Um, I just, I, the only thing I wanted to ask is if, if anybody can make a maybe Johnny, you want to jump in here. Are you making a case to start any of the wide receivers in New York? No. Okay, in this matchup, you're uh, way, um, no. You have you have matchup, you will you will have better options because where you got Sterling Shepard, and this is a really good them, defense. Really, yeah, like yeah, this is a really good all, defense. All of the wide receivers you were able to kind of wait on. Okay, our final Monday night game will be the Tennessee Titans visiting the now Von Millerless Denver Broncos. Unfortunately, you never want to see that. Uh, the game is better when he's in it, Johnny. Walk me through your take here. Start with that Denver offense, and if you feel like you're you're going to be able to trust this thing, it's been getting a lot of hype in, in this offseason. How do you stand on that Denver offense? Uh, not very good. Uh, I would <laughs> definitely pick up uh, Tennessee's defense. If you're on their waiver, they just picked up Jadavion Clowney, uh, who has been in a very similar uh, scheme before. Uh, he's played in this uh, when he was in Houston. So definitely uh, would pick up uh, Tennessee's defense. Um, Corlin Sutton, you're going to throw him out there because, uh, you know, you draft him to do so. And I think that Corlin Sutton could actually have a solid game. He's got a decent matchup, not the best matchup uh, for sure, but it, it's pretty solid. Um, and that's about it. I'm not starting any other wide receiver for Denver. Uh, Noah Fant is interesting just because of the one situation, like I was saying earlier in the show, of uh, if there is one weakness to Tennessee last year, it was the tight end position. So uh, I would be okay starting Noah Fant this weekend. All right. So on the other side, Tennessee's going up against a Denver defense. Like we said, Bradley Chubb going to be on a snap count for this off or for this defense because he's coming back from an injury. We talked about Von Miller being hurt. This defense with those guys was middle of the road last year. So, Johnny, Ryan Tannehill became a popular uh, went from streamer to a really good quarterback at the end of last year. You feeling good about starting Ryan Tannehill at all here? Um. If I'm in a pinch, sure, but I I feel like you shouldn't really need to, uh, you know, dra have to start him, uh, because you should have been able to. I I just feel like there are better starts out there than than Denver. Um, 
but it, it's not a terrible it's not a terrible start or if it's a two quarterback league then yeah give me Ryan Tannehill because again from weeks uh when he took over after he took over in weeks eight sorry I got to click on my note show notes here um, I was make sure the cameras are from weeks eight to 16 last year, Ryan Tannehill was the QB three on the year. And that is not a, uh, fluke or a gimmick or a miss, uh, typo. Uh, that is the truth. So, uh, it definitely is there. They have, it's capable, but I think that this is going to be, uh, run Derrick Henry and give him the ball, you know, 30 times. Uh, I could definitely see that that's where this is going. I want right, to bring, also- I- I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill just for a moment here. I think he's one of the most exciting late round QBs available in the 2020 season. Ryan Tannehill was playing behind Adam Gase. He was playing with the Miami Dolphins. It was ups and downs. And then he goes to Tennessee, right? Where Marcus Mariota, former second overall pick, had been floundering and just looking pedestrian year after year after year. Ryan Tannehill finally gets that start. Same situation that he walks into, and he lights him up. The the Tennessee Titans went from being like a middle of the road to playoff force. I mean, they were knocking out big squads and just hanging with the best of them, right? And Ryan Tannehill, somebody mentioned before, pro football focuses, amazing stats they pulled together. Um, in 2019, weeks one through 17, he had the highest um, passing grade of any quarterback in the NFL. And the names right behind him, Ryan Tannehill, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees. Not bad company to be ahead of. In this one. And so Ryan Tannehill coming in as soon as he started, started producing from a fantasy perspective, from an NFL perspective, and that never stopped. And now he is the starting quarterback week one uh, for the Tennessee Titans. He's also got a, I like the weapons that he's got. I like the situation he's going into. I think Ryan Tannehill could be a sneaky, uh, a sneaky fantasy asset all season long. Really low over-under in this one. 41 uh, is the over-under. I don't know if I'd feel as comfortable starting Tannehill here. Similar to Johnny's take. Uh, Yeah, he's definitely somebody that's interesting, but I think he'll end up, like if he does ball out, he'll definitely be one of those guys ending up on that week one waiver. Johnny, any hesitancy starting Jonu Smith in this matchup? I know he was one of your favorite late-round tight ends, but you may have grabbed two. Is Jonu one of those guys you're starting this week? Yeah, I mean, it, this is a decent matchup. It's not it's not awful, again, without uh, Denver having Vaughn Miller. And you're looking at it, Brown is the wide receiver one, or the, should be the one option here, and Jonu could be the 1A to the, in this offense. So he should get targeted over the middle plenty and often. He's a very talented tight end. And so if you did draft him uh, as your only wide uh, tight end, then yeah, start him. If he is your second tight end and you maybe happen to get like, um, you know, and I would actually play him over Evan Ingram uh, this week up uh, just based on the matchup uh, against uh, Pittsburgh. So. All right. Well, that's it. We did it. The gauntlet is over. We went through every single fantasy relevant storyline for every single game. And just like that, in a blink of an eye, it's all done. <laughs> Our matchup show for week yeah, one that went a quick. little long. We, uh, we apologize, but uh, we will get this under control and we'll get you guys rocking and rolling each and every week. And we're excited to keep doing it for you. For Johnny Game Time Hicks, for Austin Sear, for Summy, who we hope eventually comes back from the upside down. I'm Big Travi. <laughs> we are the Fantasy Whispers. Peace. Peace. Apologies.
apologize for absolutely nothing.